We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and unfortunately Abe could not make it, but Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss movies, new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to do special bonus episodes, and this is one of those. This is one of our fun commentary tracks. This is the commentary track for December 2017. That's right, it's been another year of commentary tracks, and this is how we close it with the annual Star Wars commentary track now. Um, we, this year, we are talking just Empire Strikes, sorry, Star Wars, colon, episode five, hyphen, the Empire Strikes Back. So, that's, that is the plan for this month's commentary track. Of course, this comes out because we have a new Star Wars film coming a little over a week from now. Uh, The Last Jedi is on its way, so what better way to go over that than to go over Empire Strikes Back, which may or may not have some things in common with the next upcoming Star Wars film. Uh, Joining me to discuss... The Empire Strikes Back. From Why So Blue in the Cult Cinema Cavalcade podcast, I thought he smelled bad on the outside. It's Brandon Peters. Oh, wearing my warm Tauntaun jacket, ready for uh, some hot time. From Forbes, he truly belongs up with us in the clouds. It's Scott Mendelson. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. And lastly, from the Milky Way Blues, the stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder, it's Yancey Burns. Hello, friends. How are the three of you doing tonight? What have we here? Well, I'm not running away from a wildfire, so that's a plus. That's good. Scott, you just dated the commentary. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Thanks to climate change and all that thing, I think this will be an annual tradition now. Every time we do a Star Wars commentary in December, well, I'm not running away from a wildfire, so here I am. (laughs) Um, Actually, I guess the next cut will be in May, right? Because Solo's still supposed to come out in May. That's the idea, so I guess we'll have to... Thrilling. We'll get it. <laughs> just five months from now, you'll get the next Star Wars commentary track, I guess. But we'll see. There's a lot of things going on in May, so I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out. Spaceballs for that one. Hmm. <laughs> that's that's my response right there. Anyway, how this works, guys. Uh, we are, as I said, we're doing a commentary track for Empire Strikes Back. Uh, the way this works is Scott, Yancey, Brandon, and I. That's everybody. We'll. Um, <laughs> we all have. We all have the movie currently paused. Um, and we're going to press play at a certain point and just let it go. We're going to talk over it while the movie's not, you know, on mute or what have you, because obviously you want to hear us and our insight on a movie we were not involved in making. Currently, for those of you that do plan to watch the movie and listen to us at the same time, we have it paused at 12 seconds in on the Blu-ray edition. This is right where the Lucasfilm LTD logo has appeared on screen. So if that, and so anybody watching that, that's where we have it in. Um, this is the Blu-ray edition, which means it's the special edition of Empire Strikes Back. We'll be happy to talk about the various differences between the special editions and what have you. Um, but yeah, that's what we're going to do. If you're not watching it with us and just listening to us, then you know, good on you. Enjoy that. You don't have to do anything. You just get to sit back and uh, have a good time. But uh, with that, I think we're ready, guys, right? So are you guys ready? Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm going to count down 3, 2, 1 and say go, and then we're going to press play. So here we go. 3, 2, 1, go. So I have the uh, the Lee Brackett um, original screenplay for Empire Strikes Back. I could just read it for the commentary, and maybe I finish it before we're done. Hmm. No. Nobody. Okay. <laughs> it's not even close to the. You have the original version. Well, I have the Lee Brackett script. Yeah, someone uh, sent it to me a long time ago. Because it's nothing. Like, it. It's not similar. No, it's no. There's yeah, it's not similar at all. Uh, there's some ideas, but holy cow. <laughs> So, speaking of movies that do exist, The Empire Strikes Back, um, who has a good idea of the history on this? When Star Wars, like, 
destroyed everything as far as, as far as the world as we know it because obviously we know blockbusters ruin cinema um <laughs> what was the what was the plan after after just star wars it was i know there was like they're gonna make like a bunch of movies at one point but how do we get to empire strikes back was it lucas just made a deal it's like i'm gonna make this sequel or was he a package well, we deal have to, or? we have to first travel to kashik for life day okay yep yeah, we have the that's, holiday special that's uh no i i I think what Lucas, from the notes I, I've read in uh, the books, there's, there's, I can't not highly recommend enough the the coffee table books, the making of Star Wars, the making of Empire Strikes Back, and the making of Return of the Jedi, which are yeah. incredible because they let this. I can't remember the author, but he got to go in the vaults of Lucasfilm, listening to audio recordings, notes, like phone calls, like everything recorded. Lucasfilm kept everything. Um, regarding Star Wars, it starts in like the 60s, um, the book, the first book does. But uh, Lucas just had a grand idea, which a lot of it was his, in the early days, was his version of the Hidden Fortress. Uh-huh. And then characters and people just kept expanding, and it needed, like, th- there was one draft that just, there's just way too much going on in the movie that you could see him starting to split things out, but it was very much the hidden fortress, like for a long time. Uh, It was just a knockoff of the hidden fortress and they kept splitting out through there and ideas changing. I mean, even I think one of the early drafts became a graphic novel too, recently from dark horse, which was entirely based on throne of blood, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, and there's a whole Sanjuro subplot involving Lando. It was really intense. A lot yeah, of Kurosawa, well, basically. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of Kurosawa. And, and the funny thing is, today, I mean, you, you can look at, like, Stranger Things, something like that. We get all the references. They're really easy. They're really thrown out. But, like, back in the day when all you could do is go to a movie and see a film, you missed films. Some films came and they never came back. Like, you could get away with just mixing and hodgepodging things together and no one noticing everything well, they felt Lucas original knew that all all lucas's buddies like milius and spielberg oh yeah they all would have recognized the hidden fortress i think in there oh yeah yeah and that one's i mean but like general audiences wouldn't be the ones pointing it out just be like hey georgia let's, like the way you did this this and this let's pause the origins for a second and talk about what we're seeing on screen just so everyone's like hey why aren't they talking about the movie more okay we're on an ice planet we're on hot we're on is it Hoth or is it a moon of Hoth? We all call it Hoth. But is it a moon? Everything's like a moon in these, these it's universes. The Hoth, it's, just, it's, it's the system. It's the system it's the of Hoth. Hoth right? the system. Is, does, it, does this actually have a planet name? I think it is a planet Hoth. I know it's okay. Endor is a forced moon Endor, of Endor. Yeah, the forest moon of Endor. Endor. Yeah. Um, which everybody misses up, but I I think I think this is Hoth. Okay. Well, regardless. Well, I think he's right. I think that's true. That's fair enough. I, I Yeah, it's, it's too synonymous with Hoth to not call it Hoth. Um, I like how the star of the movie gets immediately knocked out, right? The first scene of the opening, like, which, right. which I, I'm always curious, like, because I know there's, you know, there's a lot of things going on with this script. Was that a thing that was planned from the start or because Mark Hamill got into an accident and had things going on? I think that on? was the accident, right? That no, was it was planned from... Look different. No, it planned from the start um, because he shot Corvette Summer after his accident uh-huh. uh, before this. And there was, I mean, he was fine. So there wasn't really, I don't know. There, There's back and forth on that. So I've heard where it was always there and I've heard it was added for well, that reason. Because it's such a, that's a pretty integral thing as far as how this movie starts out. If you have to plan that or if you have to suddenly change your entire opening involving, you know, the hero of the series. 
Yeah. Oh. Uh, I like. By, I like. I like. By the way, I like how this. You know, the movie's old enough where it's like you don't need grand entrances for a hero. So like Harrison Ford can just walk in, just kind of take a hat off, be like, "Hey, I'm here, guys." Like, there's no like fanfare. There's no giant score cue. It's just here. He's here. There he is. They didn't need to sell him at all. This yeah, exactly. the biggest movie of all time. Scott. Well, that's one of the things I like about this movie overall is that. Yeah, now a lot of you know the whole the dark and gritty sequel, blah blah blah. You know the second, you know the the lowest point is you know cliche, but you know you have a a sequel to the you know, most popular film of all time, and it starts on an incredibly downbeat note, yeah. and a very low key note. I mean, it, it must have been striking. I mean, you know, I'm not old enough to have experienced these you know firsthand, so to speak. But you know, you watch Star Wars in the theater, it ends with the Death Star blowing up. They get their medals, yay, the, the day's saved. Then you get the Empire Strikes Back, and no, no, things are worse than ever. It you know, really it's a is. Dark rebellion. It, it is. Yeah. Like, it, it's nothing, nothing goes right in this movie for them. Yeah. Well, th- things are going wrong, but also, like, just the, the scale of this movie just seems so. We'll get to the big, like, battle on Hoth in a bit where you have these eight, you know, the Adats and how, you know, giant they are, and that's something new and fresh. But, like, you know, Star Wars opens with you know, one giant spaceship being chased by an even bigger spaceship, something you've just never seen before. And this movie's like, okay, there's that spaceship again. It's shooting some little things onto some planet. It's like, okay, it's ice. That's cool. That's a nice change of pace. But it's like, it's really inauspicious. And it, and I always, I always wonder, like, you look at Return of the Jedi, which we'll eventually talk about, and it's... I, I mean, I, I'm aware that the reaction to this at the time wasn't quite as strong as it is now, right? That's fair, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, a lot of the things that we love about it now... Are the very things that caused it to get, you know, mixed positive, but not overwhelmingly rave reviews. And you can you know, see the low key tone, the mm-hmm. small scale theatrics, the character driven, you know, Wait, scale. This, this movie? Um, at the yeah. time, when it first, when it was first time, arriving. You know what's crazy about this? Ebert, they, this got pretty good reviews. I mean, this is. Well, Ebert was a champion of these things back way before it was popular. True. I mean, true. You know, Skull and Ebert were the ones that would go on talk shows and defend these films from. You know, various older guards. Yeah, I guess you're right. that, oh no, these space movies are ruining cinema. But even yeah. even beyond no, the even beyond the like critics, like the you know the the populace obviously was seeing a yeah. different movie and reacting to it than compared to you know people that were respect you know the critical eye respecting yeah. what kind of new ventures they're taking for this one. Which is what I'm getting to is where you get to Return of the Jedi, which is instead of like making it you know doubling down on this kind of stuff it goes back to the root it goes back to star wars where it's like here's a here's a star destroyer that's matched with a super star destroyer and here's a giant opening rescue sequence involving all your favorite characters like it's really big and bright and colorful and like really throws you into something that's quote-unquote more fun than i think i think it's a deliberate deliberate mirroring of the first one to balance out the story of the three and it's it's Wait. it's. it's I, just want, I want to wrap this point up. The, the, I think it's interesting to me when you look at um, the Pirates of the Caribbean series, where it doesn't do that after after Dead Man's Chest, which also is starts fairly dark. At World's yeah. End, starts even darker, where it's like let's oh, hang yeah. every oh, kid Dead in Man's the area. The most Empire <laughs> that movie learned the right lesson from that movie learned from this movie very well. Dead Man's <laughs> Chest, I thought it didn't in lead all. anywhere, but like. <laughs> No, but, I, but I was saying, without, without World's End, the response to that one's like, we're not even taking that away. We're going to make it even worse at the beginning of, that, of, uh, yeah. oh, of the third one. Yeah, well, they, um, they, they were funny. shot at the same time. Yeah, they were, but I mean, yeah. I mean, they're clearly taking notes from this trilogy. I mean, that's, that's yeah. what I was about to say. Oh, right, and that's important to remember, too, is that obviously Star Wars was a giant hit, but unlike some of the movies we're getting today in franchise, there was no guarantee that there was going to be any more of these. So every time he's setting out to do a new one, it's... It's not a crapshoot, but there's no, you know, they're certainly not shot at the same time, and there's certainly 
I don't think the planning is that far ahead on Return of the Jedi at this point, probably, because... Well, the idea the idea was to the next one, there wasn't going to be the trilogy capper. It was going to be Darth Vader was going to take a bit of a backseat. Boba Fett was going to be more of the the big villain and the job of the hut stuff was all going to be in the next one. And then oh, that okay. kind of got that got crammed into the opening of Return of the Jedi. And they said, hey, we're done. We're going to make it a trilogy. They were going to extend therefore, it. trilogies became the order of the day for the rest of, the rest yeah. of history. Yeah, but I think it's funny because the first Star Wars is part of this little movement towards the end of the 70s, uh, like Rocky, Star Wars, and then Superman that sort of like brightened up the the dour attitude a lot of the big films had. And then Star Wars comes right back with its sequel and fits more with those downer 70s vibes. <laughs> well, than yeah, I mean, it's, it's the middle of a story, so of course it has right. the most bad stuff happening. But interesting what you said about Star Wars. I actually think this is a very different beast than the first Star Wars because the first Star Wars, if that had been a disaster, it would exist. It would be in a, like a Peter Cushing box set somewhere. It'd be this weird movie <laughs> right. made in 77. And it ex- I think the first Star Wars is the only one in the whole series that really exists as a standalone thing that has a beginning, middle, and end. You don't need any more beyond that. This is a continuation of a story which is a different thing. I think the first Star Wars is genuinely a movie of some ideas that Lucas had, whereas this is something else entirely. And it's interesting, at least for me, to compare the different kinds of beasts we're talking about, you know? Yeah, it's a franchise now. (laughs) Well, I think there's a case to be made that if Star Wars was Lucas's answer to the cynical, somewhat nihilistic film school generation, you know, Scorsese, you know, the Coppola, you know, Apocalypse Now, The Godfather, whatever. Uh, Yes, Apocalypse Now was afterwards, but... And he, he wrote that, Empire. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he, he was, was supposed to direct that, but he did Star yeah. Wars. To a certain extent, you might argue that Empire Strikes Back was partially Lucas saying, I can make a dark film, too. You know, yeah. I... Well, I he made THX almost pretty... Oh, yeah, I mean, the end of American Graffiti isn't... Yeah. Yeah, his first American two films are... My favorite movie of all time. Like, I, I will go to the mat for American Graffiti. It's, my, it's the greatest movie I've ever yeah. seen. But if Star Wars had failed... I think that it would look like just the 70s. Oh, yeah, one of those 70s auteur guys decided to make a throwback Flash Gordon film. And if it had failed, the aesthetic would be not would not have caught on. It would be this funky, junky looking weird movie that this guy made. And and he failed. I think I think it would then fit in very well with the other stuff that was being made by that generation. But as yeah. fate would have it, it ended up changing everything. You know. Well, if it failed, the um, the the novel Splinter of the Mind's Eye was going to be the low budget Star Wars sequel. To really? try to see what he could do, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's where that that's where that came from. Is that Alan Dean Foster was hired to write some because, and usually back then sequels didn't get as much money. If you look at the Planet of the Apes series, those like went down to be like Battle for the Planet of the Apes cost like five bucks to make. And it looks and, like uh, it. this is a new show. world after yeah, this is a new yeah, world here. And uh, and he he was prepared for a low budget sequel. He was gonna get a sequel made, and he you know axes Harrison Ford because Harrison Ford was huge, and he was gonna be the least expensive to bring back. So it's it's Princess Leia, Luke, C-3PO, R2-D2, and they crash land on a planet with a whole bunch of new characters. Uh, Darth Vader shows up at, at some point, but uh, that, that's pretty much that's it. And it's it's a very Dagobah-ish planet, going by how it's described. So right, that's right. kind of there. But he was he was ready to keep it going, but the next film was going to be much lower budgeted and try to maybe build. Something Boy, if that, that if that had happened, Lucas, what would he, what would he have done? His career would have been totally different. He would have probably gone off and done art movies for the rest of his life. Right, totally yeah. different thing, you know. <laughs> he would have directed. Like, yeah, he probably would. You know, he probably yeah, would have stuff. Director, you know, yeah, he would have more directorial efforts. Not the gap between seventy seven and ninety nine. 
We've um, we've when he becomes more of a Walt Disney figure. I think I think that's what happens here is he starts yeah. to see things from a Disney perspective of overseeing the whole thing, you know. Well, getting to what you were saying, I think you're right. And then if it's and Star Wars had tanked, it basically would have been George Lucas's pirates. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. We're um we're talking over a lot of this movie, which is fine. I like this conversation. I just want we're to point out where there's there's so Star like because I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad you're doing this just because it's going to be me just fawning over how great some of this stuff is. But I mean, <laughs> the Wampa stuff, the Han Solo walking out, being like, "I'll see you," and like he's just going out. He's yeah. like, "This I have this plutonic love of Luke. I need to just go save my boy." Like just like the way everyone's acting here is so like it's. I it's, need him to owe me too. Yeah. <laughs> like we'll talk about this as we go on but harrison ford he's doing fantastic work in this movie like this is such a he great han solo movie over the first star wars harrison ford is five times the better actor in this one already you can tell he's just he's already improved oh, yeah. so much he truly they are they... how much credit you gotta give mark hamill he's acting with yeah. a puppet like two puppets yeah. <laughs> on a soundstage the entire most of this movie oh yeah like like yeah ford is ford is improving on what's already a great character but like hamill gets like he gets, he gets, he maybe get. I, I don't know. Harrison Ford gives maybe the best performance here, but Mark Hamill is doing a really good job of taking what was, you know, a whiny farm boy in the first movie and making them this kind of introspective but still really excited guy that wants to like rush to learn something but realizes some really dark stuff. Like he's still, he's grappling with a lot of different emotions in this movie. Where well, I mean, Frank Frank Oz Frank Oz brought Yoda to life, but uh-huh. if it's not for Mark Hamill, we don't believe. For sure, a lot of it. So sure. I mean, it's, it's on Hamill too. You got to. I, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. Or at least I'm getting ahead of ourselves here. But you got to imagine, like in today's franchise world, when things are so controlled to make sure that everything is a success, which of course Scott Scott knows more about. It, you wouldn't. I can't imagine Lucas saying, "Oh, the second one, 45 minutes of it is going to be Luke on a planet with this little Zen master guy. They're just going to be talking about philosophy, and nothing else is going to really happen." It would never, it would never fly, and yet it, it's such a special, integral part of this movie, you know. Which I think is a, a tribute to, at least to some degree, to the singular imagination of George Lucas, which well, I miss. But. I think to a certain extent you can get away with that now because of this film. I mean, Maybe, I would yeah. argue that there's a lot of sequels that do the old, the, the split off thing, you know, How to Train Your Dragon Two, where uh, Hiccup spends a good chunk of the movie, you know, meeting his mother and just talking about, you know. Why she left, and you know, yada yada yada. A uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two, where they get split up into sections, and you know, our lead spent a lot of the time on Kurt Russell's you know weirdo planet, just chit chatting and you know, learning about each other. Uh, well, think about like, think about like, think about. You're right, Luke. Luke in this movie is go go go. I want to save my friends. I want to become a Jedi. You've got a character, and that's the audience. It's go go go. I want to see the rest of this yeah. amazing exciting. And then you got Yoda coming and saying, no no no, we're gonna slow it down or examine what you're thinking. It's not about rushing. That's a ballsy thing to do. It's a courageous thing to do, and it obviously means a lot to Lucas as, as an artist. It, it helps that you have the most charismatic actor in the world at that time on the other side of the story, like having all kinds of fun that's in space, good, good having point. space chases, point. getting in fights with bounty hunters, meeting Billy Very D. Williams. Point. I mean, like all those things <laughs> add up. But those Yoda scenes are my favorite in the movie. Those scenes are spellbinding. Oh, I'll, you know? I'll point out oh. exactly what my favorite scene in this movie is because oh. it, it is great. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of there's a lot of contention. That's for damn sure. <laughs> this movie. 
<laughs> By the way, can we can we talk about for a second that Han grabbed a lightsaber and cut open an animal and they put themselves inside of it? Because I don't think we really talk about this nearly enough about like how the kind of shelter that that requires for that to happen in a mainstream movie for kids. That's that's what they just did. He pulls those guts right. out pretty quick. He does. I don't think people enough people don't enough enough people because I didn't certainly realize this until like I was a little bit older when I initially saw it. it was like oh they're they're inside of this creature right now <laughs> like that's what they're doing. Yeah. Well, there was an act. There was a toy. A tauntaun came out where you could slip Luke into the belly. It's a very strange thing to be doing. <laughs> but the, oh, I love the Think Geek Tauntaun sleeping bag. I think that's that's those like the hilarious April Fool's gag that became a real thing because people thought it was real and wanted it so much. Well, that's now they cool. have they're making a uh, Hoth winter jackets that just oh yeah just I saw that line of those from uh, Columbia right like the Columbia yeah jackets? yeah, yeah like... there's like a Han Solo jacket there's one like Leia's and there's yeah. one like the uh, the foot sold the ground soldiers have. Uh-huh. We had to deal with nothing. <laughs> Not that I'm that old, but I was old enough to see this as a little kid, and 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 like the, the level of sophistication of Star Wars junk in 1980 was so low. I'm mean, like I just said, the Tauntaun yeah. was a slit on the belly of the guy, and you stick in Luke, and there's no guts, there's no blood. It's like, and that was an effective thing, you know. Fisher's great here too. Jackets and very in the Tauntaun sleeping bag, you know, interesting. F- Fisher's great in this movie too. We shouldn't short shrift her. Like she's doing like it's such That's a it's such a great like screwball comedy dynamic between Ford and her and the way they react because she could easily just be kind of put upon the whole movie, but she gets in her she's... barbs. Like she gets in all this stuff. That's Lawrence Kasdan. That's what Lawrence Kasdan yeah. makes in the series as a screwball. Which she's no yeah. She's no longer half British. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's what she was like. What eighteen in the first one? She's grown up now, right? So it's she's older. She ditches the accent. Right. This is when she's married to Paul Simon, I think. Right, this period in character. Yes, I think yeah. that's true. And I think that's part of the appeal of having a sequel where the characters all get split up. Is by default, you have a situation where hopefully the quote unquote female lead gets more to do. Because she is more likely to be a part of a standalone storyline. That's a good point. The first one she has her pretty own, her own standalone storyline for like the first half of the movie where she's oh, she's dealing with Grandma Tarkin and showing like showing both oh. sass and remorse for the fact that her damn planet got destroyed. Like there's all these well, things. I'm just talking about sequels in general. No, yeah, I yeah, hear I, you. And I, I, I to that or again, How to Train Your Dragon Two, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think to to that point, it that that shows you which sequels are really worth it because you want to spend time yeah. with those characters in different lights. Where yes. the ones that don't work are ones because when they take that route, because most sequels generally do take a very similar route to Empire or just the nature of a dark sequel where people do their own thing. There are movies that don't work because it's like it's not fun being with these people on their own. Where there's others yeah. where it is fun. It's a lot of fun to like. I mean, I know you're not the biggest fan of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but at the same time, I think you can recognize mm. that those characters are fun oh, to yeah. spend time with. Now, when no, you say dark... There's things really... about that I like quite a bit. It just I have nitpicks with the third act. Yancy? I agree on the Guardians of the Galaxy. I do, too. Do you think that... Now, do you really think this is... I don't see this as a dark movie, really. This is a... I it's mean, a it's, very it's clinical like... movie. I, I don't think it so much is you know, dark and grotesque. Yes, it's very melancholy. It's very somber. It's very clinical. Uh, you know, the, yeah. sort of the caveat, you know, the cavalier way that they, you know, you know, Han grabs a lightsaber and slices open an animal. They're a cavalier way that the droid, you know, crashes into the earth and it's plopped on the snow. Um, Let's not forget Darth Vader has a sense of humor in this one. 
He does because yeah. he strangles every other new person he promotes. In you this get movie. A, you get to see Captain Piet rise in the ranks. Here's the big one, by the way. I love the Super Star Destroyer. Oh, like, yeah. I, I, lo- I love the. I, I I know you get some of you guys complain about new Death Stars, but I always like that the Empire's logic is let's just make it again but bigger. Like that makes so much sense. As far if you're a ruling body, that makes so much sense to me. It's like yeah, they'll just do the same thing, but you know on a larger well, scale. If one, if one tank gets blown up in battle, do you quit building tanks? Yeah, if you have if you yeah. have if you have a machine that blows up planets, you don't stop making that. That's a really effective machine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I get. Well, I, I, I I understand the other. Right? I, I understand the other complaints that come with that, but at the same time, I like the. To me, the Empire is such a petulant child. Like just the whole nature of this thing. So it's like I love the kind of how it doubles down on everything instead of tries to improve the situation. And uh, is, yeah. We we're gonna have uh, Julian Glover in this movie, who is a yeah. Bond villain, Star Wars villain, and villain. That's true. Wow. Which Bond villain is he? Uh, so, for uh, for your eyes only. For your eyes only. Yeah. Okay. Eyes I, th- only, I think right. it was late right. Roger Moore and not Christopher Walken. So it was one of those. Is that him? Uh, uh No, he he controls one of the uh, walkers. Oh, okay. Down below, but he reports. I'm sorry, all, all white people look the same. <laughs> you may land your craft, or let's... It's, all good. It's, it's even tougher when the sn- it's snowing, I know. Oh, yeah. Where's John Ratzenberger? He's around here He's somewhere. He's in here, yeah. Where, where's Dash Rendar? Is he around here somewhere? May I say comes, another great yeah. thing Star Wars invented right here is a human being talking to a nonsensical squeaking thing and answering like he hears, you know, understands what it's saying. That's a new thing that was only in Star Wars. I love that. Like, Han Solo can talk to this nonsense squeaking thing and you believe that he understands what he's hearing. Yeah, I mean, it worked in um, Captain EO, so. Yeah. <laughs> Captain EO is as post-Star Wars as it gets. I know. <laughs> Jackson, a non-sensible creature? <laughs> no, it's, what's his name? Yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> what's, it's like, Hooter, right? Hooter? Is oh, that, God, yeah. yeah, yeah. I Hooter, love that short. The little, the little glowing, like, thing that changed shapes. I love, I love, I like the idea that Francis Ford Coppola, like, got off the phone, then called, like, got off the phone with, with uh, Michael Jackson, then called up his buddy George, like, guess, guess who's making his own Star Wars movie? This guy for Disneyland. <laughs> 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 Gotta keep that winery going. Now I can, yeah. fu- I can fund Rumblefish now, thank you. <laughs> The biggest star in the world, man. I wouldn't say no. Of course not. I love Captain. No, Captain Neo's great. I love Captain oh, yeah. Neo. Well, I used to love Captain Neo. Yeah, it always was not good. The start of Joe Pitch's comeback. Always... Well, and you know, it was funny. Speaking of Francis and and George's relationship, like Francis was the guy that like believed in George Lucas, while oh, yeah. like some of the other more established ones weren't. They're were like, why does he keep bringing? Like, because I read uh, Freakin's memoirs, and they they he wasn't him and Bogdanovich were like his Coppola. Bogdanovich and, and freaking had uh, what Zotrope was what they started or whatever and uh, he kept bringing George around like why does he keep bringing this kid around why does he keep bringing this kid around and then they, they offered them Star Wars and they both told Francis no he's like this is going to be a big thing you'll see you'll see and Coppola was right but I love that, that um, like Coppola. And yeah, Lucas, I think is a Lucas, I think is a weird dude. I think that's what I always liked. They, they said he was weird. just quiet. He was he's a yeah. he's an introvert. He's a quiet little outsider. Um, it's, but it's, you know, it, it's through, Lucas, we get Spielberg too. So, oh, here we go. But yeah, Lucas, I always felt like was a brilliant kind of inward dude. You know, who probably isn't. Here's here's the first of many stranglings. I love this. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I love that the force extends to this. By the way, where it's like he doesn't even have to be in the same room. He can just get him on intercom. (laughs) Hey, it's Skype. (laughs) Exactly. He Skype choked him. I mean that's some dark humor right there. This is darker. That's also got to be Lawrence Kasdan. To actually to answer to your question again, Yancy, I, I 
for me, I see what you're saying as far as, like, the content in this movie. I get what, Scott, you're saying, like, kind of clinical, or it's more matter-of-fact as far as how they handle certain things, so it just inherently seems darker. But I... The, the Terrible to- actor. But it, totally. I mean, is this a darker movie? I guess, like, it's more of the ramifications towards the end that make me think of this as, like, a dark movie where you... It's it, a cliffhanger. Well, it's a cliffhanger. Right it's a cliffhanger. They get raided by the Empire. You it's don't a, see this in the last movie. It's a cliffhanger, movie. but be, it's a cliffhanger because it takes the most. It puts the, li- the most likable character on ice. The, the the hero not loses his hand and basically has his whole kind of worldview drastically shifted because of Darth Vader's revealed as his father. It's, it's like stuff like that where you're you're left lingering on like, well, that wasn't as. That's not the Death Star being blown up. I don't feel as good about things as I do as, as I did in Star Wars. Well, but I think, I think when it comes to dark, I don't know. Well, I, look at the the settings in this movie too. You're on Hoth in caverns and where Dagobah. no one's com- no no one's covered. Dagobah's like this swampy jungle. You're on a meteor that ends up being the the mouth of something which has little these little Minoc bat things sure. floating around. And then the happiest place you go to, the worst shit happens. And there's a, tra- so, a traitor in the midst, a guy who sells himself as true, being... but I mean, that means that the middle act of any story is the dark act, which I guess is true, because well, things it, are going down. Yeah, it generally is. You have to knock your heroes not, down before you bring them back. The movie doesn't lose its effervescence. It's still, more than anything else, just a really enjoy- joyful, well, enjoyable Of course, there's, this is, there's a reason this is the most beloved trilogy. <laughs> I mean, because yeah, they, dark, these dark, are so yeah. much whiz-bang wonder fun. I mean, it's all right there in front of you. But I, I mean, I, the, ne- the next one has dark stuff. Like, all that stuff with the Emperor and Luke and Vader together... In the throne room is quite, you know, dark as well. It's almost darker than stuff in this movie. But I think Dak just said he's going to live forever. Anyway, um, the I think the spoiler, he will not. Yeah, the the I guess I mean you're saying dark. I I think when you say dark, I mean I think the implication might read as it's you know nihilistic, which this film certainly isn't. I, yeah, I don't think no right. one's no one's going that far when they say that. But I think compared to Star Wars and Return of the Jedi. Which th- those are lighter films than what goes on in this movie. They're all of the same ilk. Like they're all. St- it's they're not all, as dark all... as Revenge of the Sith. That's yeah. the darkest one by far. We have to agree on that one, right? Yeah. And I think the best. Sorry, I had to say it. Um. Yeah. Scott, Scott's with um, you on that one. <laughs> I, I do think on one hand this is a classic sequel in that it sort of critiques or deconstructs the simplistic narrative and or morality of the first film you know the first one's a very primal good versus evil the farm boy rescues the princess and the rogue tags along and turns good at the end and they kill the bad guy this one deals with the consequences of those actions the and it deals with it in a more you know in a less tidy fashion i also think that the first star wars after the first space battle, the shootout above the, you know, the, the up until Princess Leia is captured, and then afterwards, for a good probably 40 minutes or so, give oh, or there take, he is. Okay. it's a pretty, yeah. I'm not going to say it's grim, but it, it, again, it's a very clinical movie. It's stuff with R2-D2 and C-3PO lost in the desert. The burned up, yeah. Well, because it's all that dirty space stuff that yeah. we, that, that people want to give um, Alien credit for. <laughs> like, it's all exactly, it's yeah. us. <laughs> I think people think of the first Star Wars as this gee whiz super duper adventure which it is they're thinking the second half of the movie yeah well it is a gee whiz super i mean it it does feel like it takes place over a couple hours whereas the rest of them are a little more epic but i think that i think again i think that that movie exists on one level it's the story of the boy and the saving the princess oh dak died operating on a a second level which is examining what do all these 
commonalities and human myths meet? What do they say about humanity? That's really what's going on underneath Star Wars. This movie doesn't have anything going on underneath because it, it has to serve a function as a continuation of that story. Whereas Star Wars, really, I think it's simple on top and very complex underneath. This is more complex on top, but it's not it's not unified by an idea like the a first Star Wars movie is, I think, at least to get uh, nerdy on it. I also think it's it's quite impressive that this film has by far its biggest action sequence right in the first act. Yeah, true. Well, um, it's one of the more memorable ones that. of the series because we keep every video game in Star Wars pretty much has a at at versus a snow speeder using a harpoon to take it down. Like yeah. it's that's yeah. very common with toys and everything. And even though this sequence is arguably just as impressive and if not more so in terms of choreography and and incident as the Death Star run, it feels smaller scale and more intimate because it's on a planet surface and not in the deeps of outer space. Yeah, and I think that also goes to the feeling that this film is a, again, darker, more intimate sequel, blah, blah, blah. Because even the big fantastical action scene is basically a street rumble. Yeah. Um. It also, it, it's the, I mean, speaking of that, speaking of like the action scenes, it always makes me annoyed how Return of the Jedi gets looked down on when it has that third act, which is a thing oh, of yeah. beauty as far as how it balances action between three different settings. Like, it's amazing how that all comes together. Yeah. Well, the Return of the Jedi has some of the best action sequences in cinema history, period. Yeah. Uh, it's yes, like it does. The, spe- the, yeah. speeder bike, the speeder bike scene, uh, the rescue, the sail barge battle at the beginning. I mean, like, that lightsaber battle between Luke and, and Vader is awesome. Mm-hmm. I don't know and- yet. When did that narrative start that Return of the Jedi wasn't that good? I think Return of the Jedi is about as good as this movie. But I it's, mean, like... I it's always it's, it's people it, it's the Ewok thing Ewoks. that's pretty much that's okay but what that, about the Porgs you're getting all excited about these Porgs why is that okay I mean oh, you, oh, don't, oh. you don't need to talk to me about this I think I love all these yeah. little creatures every yeah, little like creature make, delights people. me why is it if we market something that's sort of feminine or soft we don't like it but if we market you tough badass thing that's okay because think, because all this is for boys Yancey and Mad Max should have been about Tom Hardy that's why so there you you're go right. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I never understood the Return of the Jedi it wasn't until like I think the internet became a thing that people really ganged up on Return of the yeah. Jedi. Yeah, Peter Paris, uh, who is not here tonight, we'll, get, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk down on Return of the Jedi. I'm like, what are you talking about? You like ten, you like 15 movies a year better than Return of the Jedi that don't deserve to even be in the same category. As Return of the Jedi, and yet still, I don't like Return of the Jedi. Well, growing up, Return of the Jedi was my favorite one, like easily. Yeah, yeah, like it's one. It's the big happy it's the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, I he doesn't like Han Solo shrugging his shoulders like with the Ewoks. You know, Scott. Um, thing with the Ewoks is they're a Vietnam analogy. Exactly. You know, they're it's, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> no, I was uh, I was always confused by the... We're talking way too much about Ewoks and Red Empire Strikes Back. But I was I was also confused about people that dislike the Ewoks and, and talk about them being too cute because the memory I have growing up was these little warriors, it's really sad. Like the one that like flips over his dead friend. And yeah, it's, it's and they're like, going to eat them. They're like going to eat the guys at like, the beginning. Like, I, I, they're I, cute, but they don't act cute. Like I, growing up, I never thought of them as cute. I, I always thought of them as like, Oh, these little bear things are pretty violent, and like poor, sad yeah. things happen to. Like that's the that's the mindset I had, and so like started getting told from other people's like I didn't like it because the Ewoks are cute. Like where's what? <laughs> okay, fine. I thought they were pretty cute, but I guess I didn't no, they are. But it, like my cute. my mind doesn't jump to that as the first thing I think of when I think of Ewoks. I think of like these little soldiers were really brave on that battle. Like that's that's what I think about. Right. Once again, ignore the fact that, like Scott said, it is a very compelling Vietnam thing, you know, and just pretend instead just deal with the surface level merchandising idea it's you know 
some of the Star Wars thinking that's pretty embedded in in in, in the culture is is I think kind of shallow. Well, and they they bring in a, like a, a bigger bad than Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi and succeed. Like that's something <laughs> yeah. that's pretty that's pretty challenging right there. It's ballsy to do, and and they they do it. And well, the whole way he's drawing back a curtain on this whole universe for, over these first three is very skillful. I think you don't even think yeah. about. It. I guess there is an emperor somewhere, and then there he is. It, well, but hey. the thing with the emperor is it, he's it's funny you don't think about, him, but he's present in the original Star Wars. You go back, they talk about him. He's just disbanded yeah. the Senate. You, you just have Tarkin. There's no need for him. They're far away in the galaxy from Coruscant. Right. Which all the stuff that feels like it, you know, could have been made up on the fly was like for the later ones is well thought out. There is stuff that Lucas didn't come up with till, you know, as he's going through things, which as as a creator would do. You of course. he's a different person in seventy seven than when he's having to think about Return of the Jedi in like eighty one, you know? Like exactly. it just happens. But there's a lot of stuff that was planted there and thought out. Maybe when it gets fleshed out, it gets fleshed out a little differently, but it was there. Anyway, well, that, sure. that concludes yeah. our commentary track for Return of the Jedi. We'll, we'll, we'll resume that in 2020. Um, getting back to this one. <laughs> we'll talk about Empire Strikes Back on Return of the Jedi. Yeah, exactly. I, that, I mean, to just get some scene specifics, though. That Luke that Luke thing where he gets his like, grappling hook and knocks down an AT-AT by himself. It's like, mm-hmm. damn, this guy's a hero. Like, he's doing, he's knocking everything out. Of the oh, way. yeah. And then Wedge is doing stuff. Like, everyone's like, it's a good team effort here, even though they're basically losing this battle. Yeah. Um, well, this sequence feels far more like a conventional war movie yeah it's a um, siege yeah it feels like something out of you know simplistically speaking apocalypse now right right uh, station zebra or something there you go yeah and, and there's a here comes the uh where the deleted sequence the deleted of c-3po scene. letting out wampas yeah oh yeah it's real quick right there too but i, I, I that's such a that's such a that was such a fun thing to learn about the idea that c-3po yeah. of all people or droids was the one to be like, I have an idea. <laughs> I'm going to leash this ice monster on these troopers. That'll get them. <laughs> and he says, ha, 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 I made a funny. Uh-huh. Then he smears the blood on his chest, and it's like, that's how I'll remember you in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just read a, somewhere, somebody wrote something recently about how the, the it, would, it really doesn't make any sense to have these walker things. You would never want walkers in battle because mm-hmm. they're always top level. I never occurred to me in 35 years of watching this movie, which goes to show you, the magic of this kind of thing. It's like, well, that's just what they are. They just walk. I don't know why. Yeah. Big well, camels, you yeah, know? Yeah. Not to get back into Jedi, but the, the land speeder, the, you know, why don't they fly above the trees? Of course. Well, I'd never thought of that either. Because <laughs> it wouldn't be a fun movie if they did that. It wouldn't be an amazing I, scene in the Redwoods, right? I don't know about you guys, but as a kid, Darth Vader scared the piss out of me in this movie. <laughs> a lot. What like, like just about the film is how nonchalantly he shows up. He's just there. Like, oh, yeah, hi, Darth. How you doing? It's like Darth Vader at work, almost. Yeah, there's no granite. There's no running through his. Oh yeah, he he he's so much in servant mode this movie, where it's like I just want to. Yeah. I it's like he he's a contractor who wants to get this thing done for a big boss. Like that's really what he's going yeah. through this entire movie. And then he's even when the Luke stuff comes up, it's like, well, I guess I got to trap this kid because the old man wants something to do with him. Like it's just like all that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, like just like the middle management. Like one of the most like haunting images to me was when they the Cloud City when they opened the door and he's there at the dinner table. That always just oh, it's just creepy to me when I was a kid. Yeah, well, this is me. the this is arguably the only Star Wars film where Darth Vader is the primary antagonist. Yeah, because uh, you got Tarkin in the first yeah, one, you got Palpatine yeah. in the set in the third one. So yeah, it's That's yeah, true. it's it's pretty yeah because basically the, I mean. Now that once Solo leaves, the whole rest of the movie is Vader chasing Solo to get Skywalker. Like that's the movie. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. He is. He's the prime antagonist. This is the one movie he is. 
They're taking off. They're really moving pretty slowly, given that the Empire's invaded the whole base, but alright, it's fine. <laughs> Am I the only person who thinks that that sequence goes on a little too long? Yes. No, well, I, I, no I, I agree with you. Yeah. Wait, which, which sequence? Like, the, the siege or the... Just what? the whole sequence on the snow planet and the battle, I feel like the, the, the simplicity of a whiteness... It just feels like about five minutes too much of that. I'm always a little tired by the end of that. I mean, battle. I, I would well, say... Well, you should be. It was, it was a grueling tired, battle. Like, I, I, <laughs> I would say, no, like, when I was... I, I agree with... Now, I don't look at it as that much, because I'm just kind of admiring so much about the movie. But when I was growing up, that's another reason why Return of the Jedi appealed to me more. This movie's slower. It is. It's a slower film. Like it, also, it, we know the colors that are coming in this movie, so it's ang- we're anxious. I'm always anxious to get off a of hop and get off the dagger walk. That's like for me the oh, best part. You get it off sooner. I mean, in Return of the Jedi, you get it when you get off of uh, Tatooine. There's not much movie left, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's like halfway through, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's pretty quick on the Forest Moon, but here it's it's a good. It's shorter, I I believe. In well, we're 36 minutes into this, so there's another yeah. two hours left, or yeah. excuse me, another 90 minutes left. Um. And I lost my train of thought, so somebody else take over. Yeah, there's a lot of Star Destroyers <laughs> that are about to like fly into each whole, other. Yes. Take a piece of action! They broke them off into, into, like, it's almost everybody from the first movie is in, is in this group, and then Luke and R2, who barely is a character at all, are, are separated. It's a strange way to, to put Luke in a different frame of mind, you know, and to put us in a different frame of mind about him. These become the heroes of this movie while Luke basically goes to school. Two things. Right. Yeah. Let's let's not dismiss R two D two. He's the chosen one after. No, all. of course like, that's not. Right. Almost everybody. <laughs> See the Neville of the series. Is in this, everybody that's fun in the first movie is in this is in this cockpit right now. Yeah, yeah. No, Luke is Luke is not. I mean, b- b- once he gets to Yoda, he's still having kind of fun because R two's doing stuff and Yoda's. Of course, being, it's fun. But I mean, Yoda Yoda's being a little cranky and dickish. But, but but after that happens, then it's pretty sad Luke stuff. But yeah, if all this is just super fun the whole time. Well, and I this is where it gets into Howard Hawks. Yeah, I like I like the. This one makes uh, right here. We see Han Solo putting his money where his mouth is because we, you know, he only hear about what like a good pilot he is in the first one. You don't really have any scenes showcasing what a fantastic pilot he is. He just hits light speed. And this one, you get to see cool maneuvers, escaping the Empire. Like it really yeah, I shows remember, off. I, don't, I, I remember liking as a kid, even as a kid, I remember liking the fact that he had sort of grown in between the movies. He was now kind of a respectable guy on solo to a certain degree you know i i remember thinking that was pretty cool and i think that's sort of disappointing that they, they they took him so far back to being the original han solo in that in the force awakens because even in between these two movies they allowed Not him to <laughs> what Not, no i say agree that's one of my big issues with that film yeah but one, uh too easy it, too easy yeah it's, it's a tough, i mean where character sense i get it that's how he copes and that's how he mourns and that's how he grieves but but, you know, you just know that they made that choice so they could get get him back to the episode four status quo. I feel like if it really was the if it, whether if it really had been like Lucas, it would have been like Han Solo is the king of the universe or something with a big beard and he has to go back to fight. It would have been some huge change in Han Solo that would have been interesting to see because it's been twenty five years or whatever. Yeah, making him well, the same exact guy is comfortable. Do you really think Lucas like, would figure that out though? Because he barely uh-huh. knew what to do with the Return of the Jedi. Well, that's, Luke, it, that's all. This, this takes place over just like what six months. This 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 trilogy. I mean, he shouldn't change that much. Well, Lucas and Aptid's. Well, Lucas and Aptid's original script apparently didn't include the original characters enough, and that's why Abrams kind of ditched it. He wanted at least you know one more good shot in a, a sequel adventure that focused on the characters, though. Well, it's that's questionable about. That's why. Hamill, yeah. 
money at the at the at the at the at the cost of invention, which I was very depressed about. We um, well, thought and, it was all about invention. And, and Harrison and Harrison agrees because you're like, we'll, we'll kill you like you want, so and let you you'll come back, right? You could have not killed him, and he would have been alive forever in our memories. Why bring him back just to kill him 25 years later? Because <laughs> he'll because yeah. people will take it seriously if they see him back. That helps, and also it gives him as an actor a lot more to work. Regardless, we, we're talking through some the asteroid field stuff, and this is a good time to talk about John Williams and how he's fucking oh, yeah. knocking it out of the park in this movie, because Star Wars already had an amazing score of several memorable tracks, and here's, like, asteroid fields. That track is used, like, all the time, and still, like, when he comes to Star Wars. Yeah, the asteroid field is one of the best pieces of music in movie history. Sorry, but I'm going to say that a lot, because he's have great things to them but yeah the asteroid field we get the imperial march imperial march is you get the force yeah. thing with yoda, yoda, and the, like, yoda this, this, theme, yeah. i mean you could just submit this for his life's work <laughs> and, and that's i think another reason why the film gets a rap for being very dark is the score is very somber yeah that's true the score has a certain mournful tone to it when you think of it especially the dagobah theme i think yeah. that's sort of yeah well and, and they we, lead us they lead uh, us out with a somber theme too yeah, yeah. The, the the han leia theme yeah um one thing i would like to add is that the space battle that we just watched in a different movie maybe even in the first star wars that would have been like a giant centerpiece action scene but in this film it sort of just starts out of nowhere and just is presented very matter of fact mm -hmm. so you almost don't realize what an incredible action scene it is well like it's and so that's, i think one of the reasons why this film works as well as it does is it's so nonchalant about the spectacle. Well, yeah, because like Han Solo, yeah. like you were just talking about how Han Solo, this movie shows Han Solo being a great pilot. That's another yeah. one right there where he's like, how do I do this? Well, I'll just turn left, go to this asteroid field, and just figure it out. Like, that's like the, that's the whole yeah. scenario that he yeah. presents yeah. to himself. It's like, oh, I can get through that. And C-3PO's like, but the odds, like, whatever. Like, there's just some rocks I can fly through. Never tell like, me that's, the odds. Yeah. It's a very confident movie. This is what you want to see from sequels. Like, we know the last one we made was the most popular. We know you love the last one. We're going to take that love and go even farther and be confident in giving you something new, and which is what they do. It feels like a very – it's not any lesser at all than the first one, you know, in terms of your box office dollar. It's so and satisfying. Is this, is this the last, like – I mean, it sucks as the second one to say this, but, like, the creativeness of planets, does it kind of, like, start – it starts repeating a little bit more after this one. It's, like, almost – well, the prequels I don't think have some great. The prequels. I know. I know. I think the prequels have some really cool stuff. Geonosis, Tatooine. They, they start becoming like rocky areas, but like this one's got you know the the, the swampy jungle, the ice planet, and then you get the clouds. Um, but like then the next time we're gonna go back to a forest, which is like Yavin. And then we're right. back. I don't. I, I don't think we don't, we don't see it. We don't so, see it. We don't see enough of Yavin to really know it beyond like yeah, there's some there's true. some pyramids there. The, the Endor is a pretty unique location for that for the time. Like it's not that, that doesn't feel like a repeat of anything. It feels like oh they're in the forest now. And that's a, that's a, you can't chase that forever. How many different environments are there? Which is right. Why no, no, you, you have, can't. Which yeah, is why the world and then film noir rainy world and Attack of the Clones. He kept doing it, but yeah. like no, I would say the prequels that add a number of it. I mean, I think that the games, toys, and what have you speak for themselves as far as how much creativity they can't came up with in the prequels. People, the Clone Wars cartoon did come up with some really cool places too. So it that, did. It they did. do. Yeah, but no, I mean. <laughs> 
yes, there's certain like just basic weather patterns and whatnot that you can't like really improve upon. <laughs> yeah. But like I can think of a number of like the um Utapau in Revenge of the Sith is like this really just like it's all craters of the world. Point. Like there's like or Felucia is this like Alice in Wonderland planet. Like, there's I a guess lot. I mean, like after this, you'll at least in the next movie see like a repeated kind of looking planet. Which is again, which spe- speaks back to I guess the the way it's trying to uh, make Star Wars again, but bigger and do like you know. F- well, think about the symmetry. Symmetry. The prequels, yeah. You couldn't have done that. You couldn't have made. You couldn't have visualized the planet that's a whole city in 1980 in any oh, no, way. No, no, really. Could, yeah. yeah. Only, only CG could allow him to do that and that's what i like about those prequels that he, he used the new the new technology to its advantage like i guess i would i mean because i like brandon and i like force awakens more than you and scott do but i, I would say i mean yes the, the planet the, the the nature of those planets i mean yes they're they're similar on purpose i would say i look forward to last jedi mainly because we don't know much about it but i mean you have that planet crete that we've seen so far that has this kind ah. of really interesting look to it already just from the basic images we've seen of the the white sand with the red dust underneath. Well, and there's apparently a casino planet as well. Uh huh. Yeah. But that's all. Um, it's that's... variations on the ideas. Does that mean there's no plot on the entire like planet? Lucas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and oxygen pumped all the time. And it's very beige. <laughs> and prime rib everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> prime bantha. There, prime bantha there's, everywhere. There, there's mini- there's miniature areas that are copies of all the planets in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> The, the they can I, that's the thing yeah the red dust with the white underneath looks cool but it's still they're operating in the in in they're trying to do what Lucas might have done which is like if you were in the 60s trying to do what the, trying to make the next Beatles record you would never predict what it would be so trying to do another world like a George Lucas world or make up a funny name like a George Lucas name I don't think they can do it I, they haven't done it yet yeah see what's the other solution though they just never do anything the other solution is to sort of just do something else <laughs> What is that? Just do something else. <laughs> they are doing something else. Because I of the value step out the idea that the Star Wars is, right. is the product of a guy's imagination. And, and we have to understand that that's limited. It doesn't go on forever. And it's an individualistic thing. And to make it this every every year a thing, it's not... You can see how rapidly it's becoming less sort of special. I mean, I'm sure you can see that. <laughs> these are the, you know, these, these are not like, yeah, I'm going to go see The Last Jedi on the 14th. I'm excited. But, like, I expect at best a B... I'll I mean, I, I, I'm not concerned with the opinions of others. I'm concerned with mine, and I've wrapped up in yeah. excitement for more Star Wars. Right, That's yeah. I, I, can under, I can understand, like, to an extent, because I'm very much looking forward to Last Jedi for a number of reasons, but I can understand to an extent that you know, the latest version of this thing I already love is probably not going to be the best possible version I've ever seen of this thing I've already loved, because I have First three of, all, of those. Not? What? Why can't it be the best? Because possible? I have to be realistic about something at some point. Like I, I can, I can have it be as satisfying as possible, but at the same time, I know there's limits to this. You took away the god from this universe, man. He's gone. You can't make any more. In my, in my, in my estimation, you can't make more Star Wars without George Lucas. You can only do fan fiction, and that's what it feels like. Sorry, Disney. I'm sure you're crushed <laughs> to hear that from this person you never heard of, but. <laughs> It's so so. Those are they are so soulless to me. It breaks my heart. Well, let's get back to Empire and the space boa constrictor that's sitting right next to Luke right now. <laughs> I say it was just called space boa constrictor. That's the alien name that they gave. And the uh, and the uh, what the taquito or tornado from the gas station that he's eating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The space. The space. Like a stick, a breadstick. It's a space yeah. breadstick. Yeah, a breadstick. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here is the real hero of the movie. 
Yeah. Yoda always looks Best great. Yoda sure. always looks great here. Like, the, uh, you can, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. like digital Yoda, whatever. This yes, Yoda looks amazing. It's yeah, uh, it's never, just right there. Talk. I'm so, I'm so glad that y- you know he probably toyed with the idea of replacing him with the the digital image from the prequels. I think he had too much respect for Frank Oz to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Something, yeah. Here that's... Well, if he had, then why didn't he? Then why did he replace the puppet in? Uh, Phantom Menace, if he had, because he, I think Phantom Menace, that puppet looked weird. Of, it, it was a bad looking yeah. puppet. Yeah, it was. I can do a full body Yoda now. I don't have to worry about it being a puppet. Uh, he he would have if he could have. Like he had the Jar Jar stuff ready, he couldn't get the Yoda stuff going, and that and the he puppet... would have done a full body Yoda walking around here if he could have. But there's no way. So you get a puppeteer to do it. Right. In 1999. I can do a whole body. I just need Frank Oz to do his voice. I mean, he campaigned for Frank Oz. Like he wouldn't. So like good. Why would you? Yeah. This this is not. This work is so. Like I said, Frank Oz coming through this puppet is so indelible that. Replacing it is unthinkable, you know. Like, right. Like I know, I know Lucas likes to be handsy with his movies, which hey, is I, great. I thought replacing Snide's Snoodles was in, unthinkable, but they did. <laughs> that that's in our 2020 commentary track, right? We can talk all about uh, the all about Jabba all the right, Hutt's. All uh, right. Oh, we can do a whole podcast on Jabba the Hutt's palace. I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of stuff to work with there. <laughs> but, uh, I, I'll tell you what: what movie making like nowadays, it, it's weird. We we take for granted like you know yoda's just here we don't get a whole lot on him oh he trained obi-wan but like nowadays people watch these movies and ask like a jillion questions that don't need to be answered and aren't important about these things like old old movies get away with like i don't understand it like and we and then we get these like drawn out uh, pointless origin movies like scott has written about many times because of people asking dumb questions like that that don't need to be asked like yoda's just he's here he's this Jedi right, Master from the old days. Movies it's... have turned into sports for a lot of people. It's not about, it's not, it's not about accepting that this is a story that's being told to me by another human being. It's, it's more mm-hmm. about this has to have absolute verisimilitude in every way. And if I can spot anything that doesn't seem real, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna nail the creator for it. Instead of going, well, he's telling a story. You know, he kind of messed up there, but he's back now. And the idea that we're having, that we're being, that we're being told the story around a campfire is lost now. I think, and it's more, right. yeah service industry sort of thing i mean i have a question would you blame the prequels for that partly i mean because those do exactly what Uh, we're talking about they fill in all the the backstory in a way regardless of how much you like the prequels things like many chlorines and whatnot that does seem like going overboard to a point but it's 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 him it's george lucas he's he's just so good at this stuff that it's a pleasure to watch and and when he he misfires once for every 10 times he gets it right, in my opinion, in those movies, even though I know that's not the popular opinion. So it's like in that case. And also, I think they reflect reflexive. Is that the word? I think those are the movies made by the guy who made the first three. And that helps really for successful. sure. And also, like, if people don't want to talk about it and they hate how clumsy it is. And I, I agree that the Han, Han, Han shooting first thing is awkward. No one ever talked about the fact that this guy had a moral thing where he wanted to not have this guy shoot first. That meant something to him. That's an interesting idea that no one wanted to talk about. And it's um, it's a moral thing, you know, Scott, for him at least. I think the difference between the prequels and the prequels that we see now is that the Star Wars prequels weren't taking a known entity and trying to stuff it into a very generic hero's journey narrative. That's fair. Right. Yeah. Which right. is what we see a lot of now. I mean, I don't mean to always pick on King Arthur or Pan or whatever, but, you know, it, it's not... Not every brand can justify a Batman Begins. Um, putting aside that Batman Begins works because it's good, yada, yada, yada. But the Star Wars prequels, if anything, they got tagged for being very different than the conventional 
Joseph Campbellian hero's journey. Yeah, that's that basically the main friend. thing is that they weren't the pleasing thing that people wanted them to yes. be. Yes. Well, I, and I think, and again, I, I, I like all six of these movies. Me too. Me too. I think, generally speaking, the original trilogy had better characters, but the prequels, by virtue of them being somewhat deconstructionist, had more interesting stories. I that agree. I agree. And I think they're bad, but just that they're more primal. I agree, and I don't. I think, and I know this is this is sacrilege. I don't think Star Wars, a movie like Star Wars, is necessarily about the characters. I think the great yeah. sparking Howard Hawksian or the Lee Brackett Lawrence Kasdan interplay here is great, but I think it's great in a way that doesn't have much to do with Star Wars. I think Star Wars is more like a Ray Harryhausen movie where the you don't expect the lead characters to be that interesting because it's the world and what's going on that, that carries the substance. And in that, and then that way, the prequels are these incredibly rich, very poured over and thoughtful and intelligent movies, but because they have the sort of old-fashioned, one-dimensional sort of acting up front, no one can see past them because of, you know, this changing styles. But but I agree well, that they're more interesting as films because they're more... He's passionate about it. And also, I don't think anyone else ever... At the point that he made The Phantom Menace, had anyone else said, I'm going to make three huge movies my way, whether it's successful or not, I'm going to do all three of them? Like, I don't think that had ever happened before, where this guy's guaranteeing you he's going to make these three movies, whether they're successful or not, and he's not going to kowtow to anybody's notes or anything. That well, well, he kind of did, kind of as people notice. But uh, well, the, the Terminator <laughs> movies have threatened that many times. Uh, uh, I mean, we'll talk about. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make all three of these. It's not beholden to whether it's a hit or not. I'm making uh, yeah, this enormous I, thing, but, you know. But he did pivot quite a bit with them. Like I, the, the attack. I, I always like to look at the Phantom Menace as it's fascinating. Like that's the last like unhinged, unfiltered George Lucas Star Wars ever because he yeah. becomes reactionary after that well people so were a, so i'm sure he is shocked how cruel people were i was shocked how cruel people when i walked out of the phantom Menace, i was like yep that was great i was I, I would never have guessed that people would be saying that was the worst movie of all time 10 years later and i'm sure that as an actual human being he was hurt by it and he tried to make up for it by putting jar boba fett in the second one or whatever but like I don't even see that as a sign of weakness. I see that as a sign of him trying not to be prideful and trying to give you what you want. But I think he had no idea how venomous things had gotten, you know. I agree. But I also have to wonder to what extent the reaction to The Empire Strikes Back, which, again, was a bit more mixed then than it is now, which then led to a more somewhat more classical, conventional Star Wars film with Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi was a bigger. It was the biggest hit of. Was it the biggest? It was bigger than Empire, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it's a happy ending. At the end of the day, some people, a good movie is a movie where there's a happy ending. <laughs> is Empire you the know? lowest? Is Empire the lowest, or is yes. it? Yes, it's a clones. Number two is always the lowest, which I'm very interested to see what happens next week. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. We should. Um, we we just got went over the first side of the Empire, the em, the Emperor. Uh, we haven't Hi, seen Emperor. before. Uh, we should. Talk a bit about the special edition. We haven't talked about that yet. Um, the fact that this is, you know, an altered cut of the original Empire Strikes Back. This is, Brandon, you mentioned this as we were starting. This is, like, the least altered, right? Yeah, this is the least offensive. I mean, the, there's it's a lot of cosmetic stuff. Like, oh, you see more of the Wampa at the when Luke fights him. You you see uh, they, they put Ian McDermott, which wasn't in the original special edition. It yeah, was on the, the... the DVD release because uh-huh. they, right. they, they were filming Revenge of the Sith at the time. Uh, Cloud City... Is it uh, white and empty? I, I, which I always kind of liked the, the white interior. I, I'm not offended by what they do. It's classy. I think both look fine. But there was kind of a haunted 
uh, feeling to Cloud City with just the white walls and everything that a lot of 70s sci-fi movies would evoke. Like, I can see that. Like that, a that, Logan's that, Run stuff. That hits but... to the paranoia aspect, I guess, which makes sense for the Lando character, yeah. the nature of the scene where it's it's going too well, and that's why. But hard they, to imagine they, they would set it in the clouds if they didn't want you to see clouds out the window. I feel yeah. like that's just a budgetary yeah. thing. They, they, remember, this wasn't, I don't know what the budget was, but it wasn't sky high. I mean, there's still room right. they had to cut. They they changed a uh, a Darth Vader line and then they um they added a, an alternate angle of the opening scene from Return of the Jedi. Um, <laughs> oh they yeah, have they have Vader land inside the uh, star uh, the the star Dest- super star destroyer, which is actually uh, the Je- the uh, the Death Star from Return of the Jedi, and have a different angle of him getting off the shuttle. But he had a, when he was leaving Cloud City, the original line was like, "Bring my shuttle." And then they changed it to tell tell my star destroyer to prepare for my arrival, which I don't know why that had to be changed, but it's some real nerdy reason that Lucas is like, wait a minute, guys, hold on, I keep yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then on DVD, uh, Boba Fett became Tamira Morrison's voice. Yeah, which I I guess <laughs> the, Tamara, the Tamara Morrison and the fixing the Emperor, those are pretty hard to argue with. I mean, he's looking for the future. I mean. The, I think it's not like the guy who did the voice for Boba Fett in 1980 was that good. <laughs> it was just a guy, you know. We're just being—I think right. we're being a little conservative to 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 forbid him that, you know, or to change the Emperor out. I mean, that's—I I, he should have made the other cuts available, I suppose. That's where he started pissing people off. That's where people started to turn away from Lucas. Does it for his own artistic reasons, but I think, yeah, of the th- of the three, this was the one where the changes are. Mostly okay. Right? Not, yeah, there's well, there's there's not much to do with it. I mean, beyond like you're saying, it's just like aesthetic things and making them feel kind of all part of a whole by mm-hmm. you know replacing what the was like a baboon or whatever with, with the emperor. It was, it was a half. It was a half person, half face of a person, and then like the eyes of a baboon. Really? Yeah. 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 It's it's weird. <laughs> it's what they're going for with the. And then they had a uh, someone. Named, I think it's not even the real name. They called it Clive Revel. Yeah. It's like some someone else's voice. Yeah, it's like no, it's like a woman's face, the baboon's eyes, the baboon's and then eyes. someone named Clive Re- Revel reading the dialogue. Which is not huh. even which is not a real name. Like it's it's like it's this weird mystery around who's all the pieces that make up the Emperor. And I love the idea that Luke that Lucas is like, Well, in Return of the Jedi, we're gonna show the Emperor, but in the meantime we'll have a sub in. But I'm not gonna make it simple for myself. I'm gonna make it the most ridiculously convoluted way possible to present the Emperor. Right. <laughs> and and then they changed the dialogue too. They, they it's like they said the uh, the son of Skywalker, and this is like the seed of Skywalker. What they change it to the yeah, offspring of the Anakin, offspring. I believe. Yeah, offspring Anakin of Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. Good time to mention in this show. The shot is so moody in the in the cockpit here. This is by easily has the best cinematography of any of the six Star yeah. Wars movies. P- Peter Sushitsky, who is Cronenberg's guy for a long time, and yeah. he's married to Holly Hunter for a while, but. There's no way this this is clearly the best shot of the Star Wars movies, which goes a long way to making Yoda really successful too. Is that he's really shot well in those shadows, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's very intimate. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I I agree because I as much as I try to champion like Revenge of the Sith and have issues with Attack of the Clones, like those they're by having that digital aesthetic, it just I mean Return Revenge of the Sith, Scott, you've described it yourself. You described it as like a cartoon essentially, right? That movie. It looks like a video game. A video, oh, a the different giant cut a different scenes. thing, you know. Yeah. I don't think I've said that, but I don't disagree. I, I like it a lot, but Revenge uh, of the Sith looked I, fine I, I, and then when it came to Blu ray, it was like very video game looking. Yeah. 
I mean, again, I feel like it's again, it's amazing to me, and I'm not saying you guys, but it's amazing to me how much conser- how much conservative thought there is in Star Wars fans who really didn't like to see anything different that time around. It's like it's, it's, how, it's, it's the same thing with like any series, like slasher series fans don't like drastic changes or trying new things. They they always for say, but it, for Star Wars, such an imaginative drastic change to the science fiction genre, it's strange that the conservatism just like boom came right in. That's like, movie. That's movie fandom in general. It's like it's all these people. Like it's funny how like you know a lot of movie fans stuff are like you could be liberal people, but they become the most conservative people when it comes to their movies. Right. It's, it's crazy. It's not, because it all comes how, how, to how down to how objective or subjective the experience is for you. If it's really just you like it because you saw it when you were eleven and you like being 11, then you're, you're not really a movie fan, and you don't really get right. really engaged with the, you know, the, I think at least. I mean. By the way, this is my favorite reveal in the entire series. I was I was going to say, this is. freaked the crap out of me when I was a kid. This yeah, this scared is me the too, concept. this Minoc thing scared me. No, the, I, I, you mean the big, yeah, the big. I said, I said to you guys that the, my favorite scene by far in this movie is coming <laughs> up, and that this is it right here. The, every, yeah. every, you could you could describe Star Wars with this scene. This it, is okay. Like, yes, every, this every, be the one scene you could show. Everything right. about Star Wars is contained here as far as the pulpiness, the drama, the suspense, the action, everything the excitement. Everything but a the, lightsaber. The humor. Which, and that's yeah. my favorite scene. But we'll get to that later. It, I mean, just the, the the creativity of the of this right here, where it's like it goes like it just the the, the situation escalates so much, and then the the final reveal of what's going on is just it's just amazing. Like it's just such a See, cool got... thing. Oh, it's fantastic. Right here, it's like, what's happening? Is it collapsing? I don't know. Like seeing this for the first time, and then it's like, oh, there's a giant space worm. <laughs> That's what they're inside of. <laughs> Do you guys think that these? Mo- Sorry, sorry. Yeah, see what? Do you guys think I'm just watching this sequence? Do you guys think that the fact that a movie like this made in 1980 is, it's a I don't want to say a patchwork, but we're constantly seeing different techniques. You're seeing a miniature, you're seeing them being rocked on a hydraulic thing, then you're seeing a another hand puppet as the as the space worm coming out of the slug. I think now no one, because we know that it's all CGI, no one even puts any thought into how they did various things. But in these Star Wars movies, especially these first three, it really is like. It's stop motion for the Tauntauns, then uh-huh. it's a puppet for this, and then it's a rear screen for this. And it's there's something very, I don't know, there's something very... There's the movie magic of like how they do that, and that's how a lot, of us became, yeah. a lot of us became big fans, because we were like, I want to know how they did that. And so we'd do our research, we'd learn who effects people were, and miniature like model makers, people like that. That Yoda is so dead right there, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but no, that's what happened. Today's movie magic is different. I'll, I'll tell you what, like... I, you know, there's a lot of things we couldn't have with CG, and and I think you know there's a lot of hard work that goes into CG. And sometimes, you know, I'll be impressed when I find out something I'm watching was CG. You know, there's a lot yeah. of stuff I can see that I'm yeah. like, oh, that's CG, CG. And then you, you find out a something wasn't CG or something was CG and you had no idea. It's still there. It's just it's different and it's not as frequent as a how did they do that you have to be it's, told oh guess what we did that it's rather it's, than I think the illusion is so complete that there's no way for a sort of Sunday morning, you know, enthusiast to get their fingers into it. It's, it's so I like. Think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. It's it's why I love David Fincher films. I mean, that's the ultimate example yeah. for me, as far as, or, or even Christopher Nolan to an extent, as far as Zemeckis. Zemeckis yeah. too. Zemeckis, look, Zemeckis. I mean, yeah. I guess now yeah. too, because he's going back to live action. So you see something like Allied, ah. which probably has well, Allied probably does have a weight. I mean, a lot Wait, more effects than you would expect. What? 
in Beowulf with CGI? No. <laughs> no, but like what I'm saying is, I mean, speak, speak yeah. to Brandon, what you were saying as far as kind of the movies that you don't realize have so much CG where you can look at something like Dunkirk or look at Zodiac and those movies that are heavily using the CG, but it's just the, the, re- the realism of the scene doesn't like make it seem so fantastical. So it doesn't like, it doesn't register to you as like something that makes that you would have to use this technique to make work where so many other films these days, I'm happy to be impressed to an extent by how the CG works and often not because of how the physics just go out the window because of how reliant they are on CG things where, yeah, there's a less, there's not much to give credit to. It's the same argument I've been making with a lot of kind of um, historical period films these days, like, like costume dramas, where I don't see bad versions of these. So why should I still be impressed by the costume design in this movie? Like, it just, it's, it doesn't really... You read right. it, you need no to one do... ever makes rough around the edges movies anymore. Yeah, so, so why be why, there, exactly. everything's polished? So even the, the worst movie is polished. Yeah, there's I, a there's a, a spa, there's a space there's a space squad. I'm sorry, there's a space squad. I think that's there's a lot of calculation problem. nowadays. Like it's all you know, they've been through a lot of movies have been through the we've been through the periods where people took chances and stuff and learned for, uh, there's a lot of we've got hundred year over a hundred years of movie making to learn from with things. So a lot of a, a lot of some of the more known genres and stuff are calculated when it comes to big movies like this and even small movies there's no scrappiness to be found and i think that's why people start falling out of love with movies and start thinking tv is so much better because like you're saying it's everything is so safe that there's no sense of discovery anymore it's so rare when tv has got the benefit right now is that you never expected tv to be as good so once that wears off then right tv was terrible most of the time and then it got good about 20 years ago and you know but like yeah it's true it's true I think that's a big problem with with big budget films in general right now. The very idea of seeing something amazing on screen is now status quo. And right. You know, you have to have something else other than just, hey, look, you just knocked over a building or that you know, there was an explosion or there was a a laser fight. I also think to a certain extent that CGI effects often become sort of the patsy for unsatisfying cinematic experiences. Yeah, of course, right. Yeah, it's um, like screenplays. Yeah, my thing fact, is, all CGs are referred to as bad CG by some exactly. people. Exactly. Yeah. You know, generally speaking, as I get older, the more I like a movie, the less I care if the special effects are any good. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I well, and you know, it's funny. Good. We talk about rough around the edges. It's almost in an odd way refreshing to get something like a Justice League that's kind of that's messy. Because yeah. <laughs> you don't you don't get it. you don't see those things happen. It, it's almost surreal that something like that can still happen nowadays. Yeah, it, like a, this was made by human beings. They didn't have enough time. That's amazing. Right, yeah, yeah. But, like, but did, like I mean, the the separation there is where it's it's not it's not like one auteur desperately trying to make his life's vision come to part. It's it's one auteur was basically you know hurried out so another one could come in and make things yeah, for various reasons, obviously condolences and what have you. But you know, in studios <laughs> trying to salvage a scenario to to make this thing ultimately be realized. And I just the between expectation, what you expect from movies nowadays, and just you know some basic sloppiness, it just it doesn't yeah. register. Yeah, people say you know people say always say you know blame Star Wars for quote unquote ruining movies, but of course it's not Star Wars or George Lucas. It's the studio guys who didn't want to hire the next George Lucas who wanted to just repeat it themselves. Those right. are the guys that ruin movies. It's the lack of effort on other everybody else's part to be as good as the thing that inspired stuff. Well, that's right. <laughs> yeah, they want the, they want the next. 
Lucas is still a guy from that film school generation. He's still the guy, a guy from that group who saved Hollywood from the big bomb musicals in the late 60s, Dr. Uh-huh. Doolittle and stuff. All Hollywood wanted to do was figure out how to get rid of those guys. They just wanted to get rid of them so bad, and they did. And this is how they got rid of them, by one of them thought up Star Wars. They go, okay, you guys, you're all excused. We got it from here. We're going to make these movies for the rest of eternity. And that's what happened. And now, yeah. 35, 40 years later, you really feel like there's nothing fresh about any of it. And people are starting to become disenfranchised. Well, what's funny is, you know, you mentioned the next Just Star Wars. For the further record, I'm not that far down. I'm <laughs> beaten in the same way that Yancey you're is. But I, but, but, I, I, but, I, but, I, but I know where you're coming from. I would say, yeah. there, I mean, there are diamonds in the rough that you find. But I, is, again, I don't, I don't know this fantasy age where every movie coming out every you know was always amazing but like, nobody's <laughs> ever saying nobody ever said that but when they made movies for adults Over the you top had more be- awesome. you had better movies. <laughs> <laughs> well it, you know you point up that they always search for the next star wars and their problem is they're looking for the next like thing that's like a space movie like star wars whereas exactly. like where the next star wars for this in this era actually came the next year with superman and, and then the raiders of the lost ark and it's always like the next star wars now is I mean, we're in the middle of the Marvel movies. Those are probably the modern Star Wars type thing. Absolutely. It's, the, it's, it's the phenomenon. It's the chance taken on something new that that yeah, builds. Yeah. It's not, I, it's Aaron, not the next Aaron, space movie. What I always say is that you make more money from the first Harry Potter than the next Harry Potter. Well, yeah. Aaron saying that... Saying that, that uh, defending the modern era by saying, well, there was never a time when every movie that came out was great. No, of course not, but... Of course, when your main audience is adults, you have to vary things up because adults are smarter than kids. When you're just going for the kid money, you can just do the same thing every year. And that's why movies are have suffered, I think. Um, certainly not every 70s movie is good, but if you look at all the movies that came out in 1976 or something, it's like, holy shit, there's like 200 good movies that came out. There's like six good movies that came out in 2016, you know? Well, it's, there, it's... Weren't, there weren't as many, and we forget the bad ones. So it, it looked like time passes, we, we become more fun. But no, the 70s is loaded, I will say, of the decade. Well, it's because it's know. the greatest film decade of all time. That's, that's why. That's the <laughs> decade that's loaded. But a lot of them, you know, you weed out like a lot of the crap. You forget about it, and, and it starts to grow more fond. Um, well, I, but... don't think, I don't think it's, an, I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a, an illusion of nostalgia at all. I think it's, I think it's, it, it's unmissable that there were plenty of eras in movie making that are more uh, substantial and interesting than the current one. And that's not just a way of saying things suck now and they used to be cool. I think movies will get interesting again someday, but right now this is the effect of star Wars right now. We're living in the effect of, we don't know how to make anything but this, you know, and it's, 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 I think it's dreadful and Aaron gets on me for being negative, but I do think that movies are artistically in major trouble right now because of, delayed reaction to trying to redo this over and over. This was actually an inspired piece of work that deserves to be mentioned alongside any movie, but the 2017 version of this, the Justice League or whatever, is how do you even appreciate that as anything but a product? If you're speaking just towards like tent poles and blockbusters, I can agree with you to an extent. What else is there? What what other kinds of... (laughs) You know that's not true. I know Uh, it's like 16 or... Lady Bird, Baby Driver, (laughs) Lit, um... The post. I mean, what excites what excites me about filmmaking today is seeing the filmmakers that have grown up with Star Wars and the ones that try to find to do something different with it. Where you get you get you get your Edgar Wrights and you get your Finchers bot- and your it's Nolans. A, it's a bottleneck. It's a bottleneck at Star Wars. If you don't go back further than Star Wars, if you think that's where everything started, it shows in your work. If you realize that Star Wars is Howard Hawks and John Ford and all these things that came before it, 
you don't have that bottleneck. And I think a lot of the guys now are like, we suffer from that bottleneck of well, there's no but, reason to watch. But I can't, I can't agree with board. that. Where you have to always go back to the beginning, beginning, and not to a certain person's beginning. Yeah, because I mean, as we get older, Star Wars makes most sense as a Star Wars. Even to all four of us talking here, we all think of Star Wars as well. That's how science fiction started to look in the late seventies. It was they revised. It's not a matter of how it started, but it's like the someone's going to have a different uh, uh, beginning point than somebody else. You can't you can't force filmmakers to only look to Ford or Kurosawa or Lang or like to go way back in order to improve upon that. You probably should because this Star Wars is even in Lucas. It's not it's supposed to be a a commentary on something that already exists. It's supposed to be his version of this kind of movie. And for me, it's much richer knowing seeing the searchers in the first 20 minutes of Star Wars or all that. That that, that's interesting. I think, oh, yeah, that's kind of like a Western. That's kind of like I will say two big things first of all we get plenty of non-franchisey non-tentpole films every week every other week at the multiplex unfortunately in the last three or four years especially in the last two years with the advance of netflix and vod and post theatrical options post theatrical viewing options it's been harder and harder for people to get people into the theaters to see the Miss Sloans, to see the Edge of Seventeens, to see the, uh, you know, It Comes at Night, the Mothers, the Posts, the Ladybirds, the Spotlights. That stuff still gets made, but it is, it is that much more challenging for those films to make money in theaters. The other thing is that we got to remember, after Star Wars came out, you weren't getting ripoffs of Star Wars so much as you were getting would-be new popcorny blockbusters. Whether those films were good or bad, Ghostbusters was an original film. Raiders of the Lost Ark was an original film. Back to the Future was an original film. Beverly Hills Cop was original. Even Roger Rabbit, which took IP and put them into an original story. Um, it really wasn't until Batman in 1989 where you know, where Hollywood realized, holy crap, we can mine the past. You know, right. We can find stuff that we already have the rights to to make a movie that people already want to see because they like the characters. Right. And even, good that, and even that led into the 90s where we had, you know, films that, yeah, they were adaptations. But, you know, Clear and Present Danger was a good and thoughtful, you know, character driven thriller. You know, True Lies, Quiz Show, Pulp Fiction, uh, The Lion King, Ed Wood, you know, Copycat, Seven. Um I think it really wasn't until the mid 2000s where the you know two things happened. Hollywood was saw the appeal of the global worldwide blockbuster where you could spend 200 million and maybe make a billion or even you know make 800 million. And you got to the point where it was feasible economically to make a film that was basically nonstop spectacle. So as a result, you didn't have to spend running time on character development and plot and old school storytelling because you could have one action, you know, one 15 minute action scene after another. That's a simplification. But I think that is what the industry, which is owned by a number of conglomerates that, you know, don't really care about cinema necessarily because that's not their job. That's what they're chasing. You know, they're chasing the idea of a Star Wars type success and the tools have grown in a way that you could theoretically throw a bunch of crap at the screen and hope that it sticks. Now, the good news, as we're seeing more and more, 
is that those aren't the films that do well. The films that do well are the Wonder Woman's, are the, you know, the uh, the Dunkirk's, uh, even the new Star Wars films, which aren't nonstop action, which do have time for character development and storytelling and plot, or the Harry Potter series. Say what you will about the Harry Potter series, but those films were big because of the characters, not because of the action. And that, I think once Hollywood figures that out again, I think in the long run they'll be okay. I do think there is a problem in that they spent 15 years teaching moviegoers that the only thing worth seeing in theaters was a tentpole. So even when they get, you know, they become to realize that, oh, there is money to be made in these mid-budget studio programmers, will the audiences come back? Wow, that took longer than I thought I would. I apologize. It's fine. We no, gotta, it was good. We need to. We should get back to Empire Strikes Back while the listeners are like, "When is Scott going to stop lecturing us?" Um, well, wait, wait, wait. a perfect right. example of a film that is a character-driven drama that happens to have a few action scenes. We had uh, the uh, the the bounty hunters recently. Which, we did. Uh, the... <laughs> which in, in in a previous in a movie nowadays they'd be set up for like spinoffs, everything else. They're just glorified background players here that probably were never imagined to be nothing more than maybe a toy down the line. Well, yeah, you get, like, those shots of Bosk and IG-88 Dengar, and Dangar and, and, like, and, of course, Boba Fett, but Boba Fett's actually in this movie. And they've become so much, like, of their own pop culture entities as far as backstories and toys and comic books and games that are all based around them. It's amazing how far those that things are. That was created by fans, not like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna tell these. I'm sure George licenses it, but but those books and everything, like mm-hmm. as much as they want to call them canon, uh, those books are always going to be some sort of fan fiction canon. But I, I love that that you know it's just throwaway costume designs. Was like this guy has bandages around him, and right. we have an extra creature well, mask. Almost defeats the purpose to then do a whole backstory because the whole idea is oh, here's a bunch of weird looking creatures. Again, this whole universe is full of weird looking creatures. Yeah, there but is that, no backstory to well, that, that creature. And, You're just a creature. And, and that's but I mean, nowadays that, gotta know where he came from. But that's but that said, it's I, it, there. But Why it's, did bots come here? But that what? said, it's it's only extended universe stuff. It's not like Luke. It's right. not like they made an actual movie about Bosk. It's just stuff because people's like, well, what what if they ask what it's if? The, can they get the it? Star Trek thing. It's the Star Trek thing of you want your escapism to be so convincing and so complete that you can actually escape into it forever and never be never see anything that seems not completed or half-assed. It's weird. It's it, it's it's a complete dive into escapism where you don't want to see any traces of the real world. That I think is is where this this stuff comes from well, it's, the, not a, the, it's not inherently bad it's not inherently bad but i think it i think it it takes away from the sculpting that's done in does it though i mean here we are talking about empire strikes back 40 years later i mean it's not like we've been diminished of star wars so much because fans wanted to do stuff with other things in the universe I'm just saying that I'm very surprised how many of the star wars fans turned out <laughs> considering what a sort of a very interesting and creative enterprise it was. I'm surprised how much of it turned into Star Trek. And I'm yeah. not a Star Trek guy. To be well, I'm not either, but I'm not going to hold a, I'm not going to hold something against fans for wanting to see certain things they appreciated in a movie. Well, I am going to hold it against them when the guy who created it gets basically pushed out because because the fans are so upset he tried something else. George Lucas is still alive. He's sitting up in San Anselmo doing nothing. You know, like you're making Star Wars movies without him. It makes no sense. He's not doing nothing. He's he's built he's building his whole community full of diver, di- diverse populations to stick it to the rich white people. I mean, that, I mean I'm, I'm happy about that. But. Oh, he's great. He's making movies to show Francis Coppola and nobody else. I guess. 
in his garage. You Brandon, know? were you going to ask me something? I was just say, Aaron, you, we were talking about like, do you do you think the prequels are to blame for the over explanation of things? But I, I don't know about those. But I would think maybe you could point more towards like the the Batman Begins, where yeah. he has to show where everything's practical and how he learned his fighting moves and all this and that. That you know, it works for that movie. I love that. It's a it's a valid Batman story. But then everybody had to know, like we have to know how King Arthur got his, you know, got to. The I mean, I don't know. Should, should, shouldn't we blame Mask of Zorro then, Scott? Uh, we can't just <laughs> buy a character I, off the bat. I think we have that's to. A pretty primal story. I don't think that got too wild into you know explanation. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm just, obviously because it's Zorro. It's a valid question. Um, and I do think something that people missed about Batman Begins is that. The appeal of that film wasn't, oh, this is the scene where he learned where he got his bat ears from. It's, oh, this scene where he learns about his bat ears is a fun dialogue scene between Christian Bale and Michael Caine. No, but I think I mean, when, you, when you say something yeah. like that, though, it takes away from the fact that people can also see – they can see both things. Like, it's – yeah. I mean, these are – these franchises, things like Star Wars or Batman or Superman or Zorro or Mad Max or what have you, it's like, yes, the, the thanks to the talents of the filmmakers involved, sure, the, the writing is what you're really, you know, admiring the most – but you're also allowed to enjoy the kind of geekiness of seeing certain little minutiae being hammered out all of a sudden. Like it's, oh, it's, I'm it's, about it's, the audiences. I'm talking about the executive. Yeah, reaction. we're not talking about. Yeah, we're not talking about the film itself. It's how the audiences have reacted. Yeah, fair to, enough. To, take, uh, taking, I, to taking it to other films that aren't asking for those yes. things. Okay, that's fine. You know, if, hold, if, hold on, hold on, because Lando's about to come on. Everybody needs to shut up left. about Lando. <laughs> What have we here? Uh, Lando's about to come out. We have to acknowledge this, because I love Lando. Lando character, yeah, Lando, who doesn't appear till like, later, but yet was marketed, like, crazy on the trailer. Like, you know, he was the, well, the new character of Billy Dee Williams in this movie. The only characters. Yeah, there's not many new characters in this movie. And the holiday specials, Boba Fett. Uh, yeah, obviously. But that's another strange thing for a sequel. There's almost no new characters. Look There's at Billy no Dee Williams villain. rocking the space cape. Look at his hair. It's all nice. <laughs> you have Captain Piet. Oh, yeah. You mean no new villains? Yeah, well, no new villains. Well, Boba, no... Fett. Boba Fett's a new villain. Um, the Wampa. The Wampa, yeah. <laughs> Wampa Stompa. That's his full name. I mean, up up until up until Vader cuts Luke hand off, the Wampa did the most damage to Luke in any Star Wars, so... <laughs> I just like the chemistry so like right there. It's so perfect. Like Billy D is such a great addition to this cast. He's more Han Solo than Han Solo is. He idea. really is. Like he's the ultimate smuggler. He's he's the yeah. he's the the what the he's Han Solo's id. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I tell you what. I am. I am excited to see Donald Glover's take on Lando Calrissian. Oh, for sure. That's that's the one. That's the one thing I'm actually looking forward to in the yeah. solo movie. Right. Um. <laughs> Also, Leia doesn't trust black people. We don't need to go emphasize that, though. That's fine. <laughs> and she was right, Aaron. <laughs> Maybe spit out my water. <laughs> more, more importantly, we were introduced to everyone, um, the lovable Lobot. Lobot. <laughs> go, Lobot, go. Look at him rocking those headphones. Slash part right, of his bare brain. Lobot headphones back in the 80s. I, I just hope it's always cold, because Leia's still wearing her Hoth gear. <laughs> like, even Han Solo took off his big snow jacket. 
Also, they knew what they were doing with toys, by the way, because everybody got costume changes in this movie. Right. Chewbacca with snow on him. See, this is dark right here, yeah. See, this is where C3 gets taken out of the equation and jerked into pieces. The Oognots, man, those things are... Ugh. Yeah, these are scary little things. This is like the least cute new creature you can find in Star Wars, the Oognots. I think it's dark for a kid, I guess. Yeah. Well, his head just got blown off. He's <laughs> a robot. You put him back together. It's fine. People love the droids. Of course, it's C-3PO, though. If it was R2, I'd be up in arms. We missed the uh, amazing oh, music cue of uh, Yoda lifting the... X-wing out of. Oh, the we talked over all the Yoda Dagobah stuff, like the the that. What, the... What, what's the timeline for? Like, does time move faster on no Dagobah idea. than, that, than that, it does? I it's I I assume uh, Han Solo is the same age as Casey Affleck in Interstellar now. I think that's how it works. That's what that's what I'm trying to think. Yeah, <laughs> is it the Interstellar thing where Dagobah. I, I think that the time between planets and how that works is best left the same like degree of explanation as the the language of basic that everyone seems to happen to use on every planet but it's funny it's like you never ask that question with star wars until it's been like you've been watching it for many decades and you're like tired and like wait a minute the timeline does it how how is he fully trained almost in the force and they were... when I was a kid. it was something that kind of stuck out um i didn't care but it was something like hmm so we basically been there for a week, and now he's kind of sort of a Jedi. Okay. Yeah. But does he really much of a? I always, I always wondered how much training he was doing between this and Return of the Jedi, because this movie he's he's not using the Force all that much. Like he's barely learning what's going on. But then like Return of the Jedi, he's like choking the the uh, the guards, the Gamoran guards, and doing all kinds well, of fancy tricks. And like... Well, you're supposed to believe that. I mean, with the addition of the prequels, that Luke is at the turning point of possibly giving in to the dark side by his attire um looking similar to his father's but yeah that's uh, that's they, one of the weaknesses i have with the well with kind of with mark hamill um and kind of, and just the storytelling of return of the jedi where i never buy the idea that luke is like on the cusp of going dark that, yeah that no, never I hits me i never i never but you th- do you do have the worry that, like, oh, man, Luke kind of sucks as a Jedi. Is he really going to be able to face off with Vader? No, yeah, like, I figured, yeah, I figured yeah, he could was... die. Like, that that certainly crossed my yeah. mind. But the idea of him, like, <laughs> actually being like, you know what? <laughs> this lightning looks pretty cool. I'm going to learn how to do that instead. Like, I never really get that idea going on. Oh, the, oh. this lighting right here, this is a great moment. This whole, when, you know, there's another. And just yeah. the way the X-Wings exhaust, like, hits Yoda in the face like that. It's just, like... Which apparently Luke, what Luke was always going to have a, a twin sister, but it wasn't always Leia. Was that like? Yeah, it was going to be Laurie Strode in one at one draft, I believe. That's right. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I think sets <laughs> these films apart, even from you know The Force Awakens, I know this was a, a a nitpick two years ago. Not so much. I don't care. But the idea that in the first film, you know, he's the chosen one or whatever, but he still kind of sucks at it. He actually has to learn and fail and get better through the course of the three films to be a quote-unquote Jedi. To the extent that he even is by the end of Return of the Jedi. You know, and, and that's, I think, something that sticks out in the Harry Potter films, which is that, yeah, he's anointed as the boy who lived, but he's not, you know, a master wizard by the end of the first film. And, well, he's, and he's behind the other children, too, who have been yes. accepted it in their lives, uh, so he's got catching up. I mean, I've been and saying R2-D2's like, the chosen know, one for a reason. <laughs> like, he, he knows what he's doing. Um... 
you know, something like, you know, Percy Jackson or The Dark is Rising or, you know, more so a number of the, you know, the Harry Potter ripoffs or cash-ins that came after where, you know, the, you know, being the chosen one is awesome. I have all the powers right now. And by the end of the first film, I can do anything. Well, that's something um, I really love about The Matrix, uh, the sequels, which we've talked yes. about, where I love that Neo does realize this is better than everyone and everything else, but in The Reloaded, he's just treated like the muscle. It's still Morpheus' yeah. show in that movie, for the most part. Like, he's the one doing everything. He drives the plot forward. He makes a lot of key decisions. He reacts. It's him that suffers the most from the the game-changing finale of that movie. Like, there's so much going yeah. on there where it's like, yeah, Neo's there is just kind of the cleanup act. Like, he's he's the fourth <laughs> he's the fourth batter. He's designated hitter, but he's not the guy making the strategic plays. Yeah. Um, and that, to me, that's a classic example of a sequel that challenges the you know the somewhat simplistic morality and wish fulfillment escapism of its predecessor. Um, yeah. and I think that's why a lot of people were turned off by it, frankly. Yeah, because they're dumb. That's, that's what yeah. it is. <laughs> they suck. I walked out of Reloaded like, oh my god, this movie is amazing. Yeah. Um, Look at Lando like schmoozing right now of Leia. You truly belong with us up in the clouds. Like, it's like, it's like doing all this stuff. <laughs> Guys, I could have been cast as Lando. I'm saying this right now. Like, if, if Donald Glover bowed out, I would crush this role. <laughs> I'd, lear I'd learn to grow a mustache to be Lando. I don't know how to right now. They're the Oompa Loompas. <laughs> <laughs> they got old on the dustbin. That's, that's, that's unfortunate. Uh. So, so <laughs> we're about to get to this dinner right here. <laughs> and I, I know um, what Robot Chicken had that like great skit of like, well, what does happen after they go inside that room and Vader's there? Do they have dinner? Because all the plates are set. It is a weird, like, reveal that Lando has that goes into Darth Vader's dark humor throughout this movie, where it's like, you okay, you get them all together, and I'm going to meet him at dinner. You'll see. It's going to be great. Like, that's his logic of this. <laughs> like, watch this. You lead him to the room. I'm going to be sitting there, and I'll stand up and be like, bah, it's me. Ah, <laughs> oh, Lobot, you too? Yeah. <laughs> But look at Han, he's like, well, I guess I'm going into the room now. We're going to have some lunch. I would be honored. If let's, let's see. You see, he sits back down. He's like, let's do it. <laughs> let's eat. <laughs> Han, you like ham and Swiss, correct? <laughs> I never really took, you know, even when I was a kid, I sympathized with Lando's oh, for sure. situation. Yeah. I never thought of him as an out-and-out -out traitor slash bad guy. And I think that's one of the few moments in the original trilogy where it really deals with how people live in you know a totalitarian autocracy like that that you have to be making moral compromises all the time just to survive well and he hasn't seen han in how long like yeah that too well yeah he's also he, he's the leader of this giant society yeah. so yeah if the if the you know the darkest blackest leader of the gal of the galaxy currently comes to knocking on your door saying hey I'm going to do this or going to blow up your back to tanks. Yeah, I think you're going to probably lean, lean on the side yeah. of that guy. <laughs> your smuggler friend that stole your one prize possession is coming. I need to get him yeah. back. Yeah, all right, all right. Yeah, I guess to protect Lobot and my friends, I guess I got to mm -hmm. make a deal here. Yeah. That said, the deal does keep getting worse all the time. <laughs> Pray I don't alter it any further. Robot Chicken's done some funny Star Wars. Uh, yeah, the, I, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> 
their their Star um, Wars stuff's better than the Family Guy Star Wars stuff. And I have to assume, you know, when he does go, you know, do with the second turnabout that he made, you know, Cloud City is basically, if not destroyed, then certainly, uh, you know, evacuated entirely. Well, he does. He he signals everybody on the intercoms like, hey guys, it's me, yeah. Lando. <laughs> Peace no, be with you. Know, you. He makes a terrible price for for, you know going back on that yeah then he's like a general in the next movie that's how it works in these movies by the way if you, <laughs> if you run away from what you're doing for good the rebellions are going to promote you right away it's really easy <laughs> also han solo gets court tortured another point towards the dark movie right here right <laughs> i guess they have doctor they, they have they have doctor robot in the first one torturing leia but you know whatever mm-hmm. he's no good to me dead do you remember when, like, Boba Fett was a character It was just kind of, like, cool to know, and now everybody knows who the hell Boba Fett is? Yep. I mean, I'm, Crazy. Still, a, I'm still a Boba Fett fan. I, have no problem. I am still a Boba Fett fan, but he's, I just remember... He's like, on my keychain. Like, I love Boba Fett. You'd have to explain who Boba Fett was to people, and now it's like, he's on a ton of shirts. Yeah, the, the, mystique, the mystique is certainly gone when you have, like, his damn father and every single clone army being a clone of Boba Fett. Like, it really loses right. its luster. Yancey, you still there? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm here. No, it would be like if the Masters of the Universe movie was a big hit and we end up with a Blade origin story movie. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that guy's awesome. I had his action figure, but I don't need to know how he ended up working for Skeletor. Speaking of Blade, a different Blade. Yeah, Boba Fett is more set design than he is a character, really. Right. Yeah, character there. Hey, that set design gets the best of the best damn pilot in the galaxy, so he did something right. And if he didn't return for... if he. If he didn't come back in Return of the Jedi, like I don't think anyone would have noticed. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, really a major character. He did his job. He d- probably dropped him off and went on his way. Hopefully, he grabbed a bite to eat beforehand. I mean, it's it's the cool. It's Joe Johnson, right? Joe Johnson did. He created like most of this shit too, like all the set designs and a lot of these. Oh yeah. A lot of the, yeah. lot of the iconic stuff that we know about still. Like, <laughs> but like that was his like idea, like the whole sketching of Boba Fett and whatnot, like. It, emerge from his brain like why are they doing this because they're the umpire and they hate they're, you they're just dicks <laughs> yeah that's, that's not like I, your all due respect you're not innocent bystanders yet. it's it seems like this right like because i like to jokingly que- question like is the empire really that bad i mean everything's in order you know nothing's really but then there's like oh yeah that's right they destroy planets and there's torture and horrible yeah. oppression and probably racism <laughs> like <laughs> Don't you? Yeah. He knocked off his space cape. <laughs> oh, put it back on. Door. Look, it's it's reversible too. You can tell. Like the like the the Bel Air Academy jacket in Fresh Prince of Bel Air. You can really flip that thing right over. There's a there's a there's an inside pocket where you can uh, store a Han Solo vest. So. <laughs> I had a little. You got they, they made these little micro Star Wars toys around this time. These little kind of tiny, inch tall die cast metal action figures that came with the set. You get, like, the Bespin set, the Hoth set. And I got the little Lando Calrissian, who's, like, posed with a gun in his hand. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have a mustache on his face. And I later discovered that the mustache was somehow printed on the inside of his cape. I <laughs> found it, his little mustache. <laughs> <It was kind laughs> of That's great. 
I have That's the Lego set the of this. Goes. Yeah, the, this carbon freezing set is awesome. Like, it's such a cool... Like, I mean, it, it relies on some, you know, primary colors, so it's why it stands out so well. But I love, like, just the look of, like, the steps, all the steams everywhere, the blue in the background. It's just such a cool design for, like, a final battle location. Yeah. The steps get used in tons of artwork, even that doesn't... They'll have to do with this. They'll they'll repeat those steps yeah. just because they like the look of them. I think it appeared on... Didn't it appear on, like, the Force Awakens teaser poster? Or something, there was, like, steps like it. The one with Han, Ray, and... Oh, that one. Yeah, I think so, actually. I like how Han is, like, at his lowest, and he's still, like, the coolest guy in the room. Yeah. Next to Lando, of course. Uh (laughs) But, like... Yeah, he has a cape, exactly. But, like, oh, yeah. Han's whole disposition here, like, he doesn't know what's about to happen. He could be dying. And he's just like, I'm going to play it cool. <laughs> <laughs> My girl's about to tell me she loves me. I know. Like, it's just, like, there's nothing that's upsetting him here. He's just still, he's still giving quips to Lando. He's hanging out with his buddy Chewie, trying to calm him down. Because Chewie's upset. Chewie's livid. You can, you can see it. This is Peter Mayhew's time to shine right here. This and that scene in Hoth where he's, like, yelling when the door's about to close. I wonder if it's hot in that set. Mm-hmm. All that steam and the lights and everything. Like Mayhew must be having a ball in that chewy costume oh, right gosh. now. <laughs> I wonder what kind of spoilers came out during the production of this. People must have been interested. There must have been all kinds of crazy rumors. I well, David Prowse dropped the big one years before him, and nobody was paying attention. Yeah, yeah. No oh, one listens he? to David Prowse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, there's like a there's like a little blurb that like ended up being in some sort of Starlog magazine in like a bottom corner. Yeah. Yeah, it helps. The father. It yeah, it it helps when there's no Twitter or internet to screenshot it and post it like seven thousand places in one second. <laughs> and you know, there's no film click bait Twitter that reveals what it's said in the article that gets past the clickbait headline. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I think that, like during the shooting of this movie, the only people that knew were. Kirshner, Hamill, and Lucas. And James and Jones. Jones. Yeah. But they had like Hamill do a couple takes with the, the, the original line of Obi Wan killed your father, and then they brought him over, and then he said, Okay, we're gonna which, do a couple more, and you're gonna react as if he's saying this. Which honestly would have been just as shocking. No, it would have been, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if not more so, since we actually knew Obi Wan. Eh. Obi Wan slicing off arms and pretty pretty badass in the first movie. I could buy it. I could... Well, I mean, still the idea. That... I, yeah, I know. I, I, <laughs> I but I, I don't think it's, it's more. Like, I don't think it's more shocking. I think it's it's the most shocking to learn that the worst person, in the, or presumably yeah. the worst person in the galaxy, is your father. I think that's a little worse than, hey, my ch- oh. my childhood mentor killed this guy. Well, it's well, sort of it's like funny, you know, you, you have one prince. Everybody knows Dumbledore's going to die. So the shock is who actually kills him. Right, and, and it's that was ruined for me, point. by the way, when I saw that movie. Before I saw the movie, which really annoyed me, my friend told me oh, that. Was, no, my no, my friend told me that before the movie came out. I was like, really? Like, and then he told me who. I was like, come on. Like, so I that I had no <laughs> effect from that. Books. Shut up! I don't need to read no book to watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
to be fair, it's telegraphed a lot more in the movie than it is in the it movie. It is, but I don't think I don't I'll no, never no, I'll, I'll never know how that would have gone if I didn't know. Yeah. Um <laughs> I, I to this day, sixteen seventeen years later, I regret reading spoiler details on Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Which at the time I thought they, I was never gonna get my hands on the uncut version, and like two days later I found a guy with a VHS screener copy. <laughs> God, if I had just waited forty-eight hours. Oh, that deal keeps getting worse all the time. <laughs> I like R two R two's in stealth mode also. When I was a kid, I knew the entire plot of Return of the Jedi before I saw it. The entire huh. plot, because we had those storybooks that came out that we all got at school we ordered them for the book order thing and they were all sitting on our desks and like i feel like i feel like i know everything that happens in every movie before i see it and i don't seem to care well they used to the novelizations would come out like a month before the movie came out too yeah right the the marvel comics adaptation where they didn't have they couldn't show yoda so they had this weird purple (laughs) the artist's approximation of what yoda might look like was really unappetizing looking purple elf character yeah, I'm the kind of person that, like, like, I get caught up in the moment, so I don't really think ahead about twists and turns and what have you. I'm just, like, happy to see it happen as it does. Well, until uh, the Darth Vader line here, no one thought of Star Wars as having twists to it. I mean, in general, when I watch yeah. movies, like, I, I'm, I'm happy to welcome what's the movie's trying to give me as a surprise. I feel I've, I've seen plenty of movies to know the basic rhythms of what's going to happen in a given film, but I don't tend to think that way in the moment. Well, I mean, I would argue, you know, you know, twist versus just surprising storytelling. You know, Han Solo coming back right at the end of Star Wars—that was arguably intended right. to be an unexpected development. Obi Wan getting killed. Yeah. And saying those things. Unless like, you've uh, seen the Red, the Fellowship of the Ring, then you know Obi Wan's gonna get killed. <laughs> <laughs> saying those things, though, like I, you know, I've seen Star Wars more times than probably any movie short of Batman '89, and I can still be in the moment where I get legit sad when obi-wan dies or i get this great thrill in my my heart when when han solo comes back at the last minute yeah. like it's just this it's a testament to the filmmaking i guess as well absolutely but, but absolutely. also just yeah. your yeah. general my general disposition when i'm watching a film and how how invested i like to let myself be in as opposed to but it's you know what it's also when you're watching star wars now aaron you're i guarantee you you're you're having you're 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 gaining pleasure from seeing how it comes together when you already know it's going to happen from seeing how they made that work and I don't think most film fans get to that point with movies these days. They never get to the point where they're appreciating the film, the the way that the things were achieved. Well, well we can't even sit and talk. There's so many films and on to the next one so quickly nowadays. We can't yeah. sit and talk about. That's true. Like, like, talk about them anymore. It's like, well, I'm I'm done with that one. Well, it's also the so. it's also how we talk about films as far as what we're really championing. And I don't want to discredit Scott because he does great work with the box office. But there are plenty of people that talk more about the monetary values of these movies versus what quality is there. Oh yeah, there's right. tons of movies I wish I could write more about, but there's no no one's gonna read it. Yeah, yeah. And considering I'm known for you know I'm I work for a financial institution, you know <laughs> there's only so many times I can do a review yeah. of where the box office is. Yeah, no one's gonna see this. Guys, what's your favorite duel in Star Wars? This. Yeah, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. I like this more than Sith. I, uh... No way. Yeah. This to me is they iconic Star Wars. Yeah, I like this. I mean, this one and Jedi's and the the, the Phantom Menace battle. The Phantom uh, I Menace like that one, one too. That's fantastic. The, the thing is that the, the one thing that I hate to say is that they didn't really get past how clunky and big Darth Vader is. It doesn't really seem like he's gracefully fighting. And the thing where he like jumps, like that. You know, what I, 
I, what I like about the Vader, I can agree with you to a point, but what I like about Vader's approach to the fight is how he's just fucking with Luke the whole time. Like he's not, he's not trying. He's, and he's fighting one handed. He's uh, yeah, like, he's, he's not, he's not. It's only until later on when he's like, I guess I got to put a little more muscle into this. But like for the most part, he's just kind of like, all right, let's see what this kid has to offer. Like I'm fucking Anakin Skywalker. I've had some big, pretty epic lightsaber battles in my day, and he's just kind of like tossing Lucas, tossing Luke a hand here. Like I. The emotion well, of that. In fight terms scene. of emotional meaning, yeah, this is the one. But I still think the Phantom Menace is the most. The Phantom Menace like, is my is sword the, fights the, ever. The, like, fa- the Phantom Menace is one of my is my one of my favorite. Probably like cinematically speaking, I think it's a fantastic yeah. sword. Yeah. The, the, between two the guys on two good guys technical, technical wise, yeah. yeah. Technically, but I mean, between the Duel of Fate score with it, the, I love. I mean, I talked about this in the Phantom Menace commentary that those close ups when the score swells on the faces well, of each of them. I wasn't on the Phantom Menace commentary. I know, I'm just saying. <laughs> that's why I'm recapping it now. But those like close to those zooms on the faces and those that key moment is just like so epic it just gives you everything you kind of imagine in like a a fast-paced lightsaber battle that has these great emotional beats in it as well as these little the the the, the way they're clashing and everything and let's like not discount was... uh the, the the clone wars and rebels tv shows have had some really good lightsaber battles don't get me started with the cartoon the the um <laughs> the um jenny tarkovsky clone wars oh. series oh my god those are lightsaber <laughs> battles <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> You know what? My favorite lightsaber battle might be the second in the first what the first half of that series. Uh huh. The second to last episode where it's, it's Anakin versus this Inquisitor type villainous. Oh yeah, Asajj oh, Ventress. Is... Oh, not... Yeah. Um, and you know it's 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 you know it's a it's awesome. You know it... they fight on a cliffside. They fight in the rain. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a it and it's like it shows it it gives you a lot more of Anakin than I would have liked from um, Anakin in the movies. Like, there's so much yeah. rage there. It's well, what I what what I like about what I as much as I I I wish I could like Sith. I like I love Sith. I think Sith's fantastic. But what I wish I could love more about Sith is the transformation he goes through. But I can I do buy more into. Hayden Christensen going to the dark side than I do Mark Hamill. Like I do feel like that conflict yeah. is that conflict yeah. is more clearly represented in those movies. And well, I think like, how clearly are we supposed to think Mark Hamill is going to the dark side here? I don't. I don't really. No, not in this movie. In the in, 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 in Jedi though, it's really trying to push you oh, to you think that could happen. He's going to be back to being Luke Skywalker by the end. Are you kidding me? The whole arc of that movie is going to be he's doubting it, and then by the end he's back to being Luke and he kicks ass. Like guarantee. Yeah, but I never, I never buy the doubt. That's what I'm saying. Like I never, I never buy that there's any sort of conflict here. Why would you tell that story again about a guy going to the dark side? It's not interesting. Uh, uh, but no, the, to the fact of Anakin, the, pre- the prequels, like, the, the Clone Wars enhances the prequel films. It does. Like, it really does. Like, it's it's crazy. <laughs> Let's be fair. Remember, those are still under the Lucas. He's still involved in all that I'm not, stuff. I'm not saying oh, they're yeah, not. Yeah. I'm just, but I'm saying... Say I, wasn't. I'm just saying that... <laughs> they're, they're, it's, it's yeah. a really great representation of... Let's show you pure... I mean, you talk, you talk about how... Characters are not the main focus of Star Wars. That's you know that's that in a nutshell. Watching those Tartowski films in general, specifically, they, it's all action and showing you the kind of pulpy adventure of these troopers sure. or various Jedi masters or whatnot going on their own little adventures and just having these amazing the fight sequences. Mace play Windu out. takes down that big. Dro- oh yes, <laughs> it's Mace Windu versus a planet. Like is that, that's the that's the episode, <laughs> or like Kit Fisto versus like all of underwater. Like the Kiss Fist, the Kit Fisto one, the Aquaman movie wishes it could be the Kit Fisto segment of Clone yeah. Wars. <laughs> they need to put that out on Blu-ray. Or something. I, they like, do. I'm I'm annoyed that it's not. I don't know how that's not happened. All the no, Star Wars is happening right now, and that's not a Blu-ray Clone yet. Get, get off Hotel Transylvania and give me some more Star Wars. <laughs>
Return of the Jedi's oh, duel is... Fox. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Return of the Jedi's duel is... Pre- I love the music in that duel. That's my... Yeah. The part where, where yeah. Vader threatens that the he'll sister, go after yeah. Leia and Luke comes out yeah. angry at him, that's just... Oh, that, that's, that's one of my favorite... Well, jo- that's the emotional climax. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite John Williams cues of all time, just the way the, 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 the yeah. chanting involves in there and the mm-hmm. emotion... You mean the uh, the slowed up version of the uh, Phantom Menace celebration? Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I did like seeing Jar Jar in the background doing like gl- uh, glow stick hands. Now here we go with a, this. Now this is dark. This is a genuine existential crisis that we're seeing our character go through visually and emotionally. Yeah, he's getting balls, beaten on the balls, back balls, with his stuff. Hanging on by an antenna over the over the absolute edge of the world. I mean, this, this imagery is hard to even as a kid. You're like Jesus. Well, and this is I, I love the, the the display there is showing that you know the difference between what the dark side brings to using the force in battle, where it's, it's, you know Luke's it's, only going to go with. His fence, you know, his fencing skills and stuff like that, and Darth Vader's like, you know what? I'm gonna use the Force I'm around here you, and yeah. take an unfair advantage. And it goes, and it's so like, it's almost uncontrollable. I mean, even Darth is almost blown out of the building because of how much power comes with the dark side, where he's like, he's, he's being grabbed by his own Force and being nearly thrown out of the wheel, window. Here we go. Here's the chosen one, by the way, saving the day. <laughs> if R two's not here, all of these guys are dead. Like that's bottom line. <laughs> There's no third movie. <laughs> it's nope. always magic hour at in Cloud City, isn't that, it? <laughs> that's why Cloud City is the one of the best places in the world, in the Days universe, the galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Cloud City, the best. You know, most positions available at Cloud City are walking back and forth through Cloud City. So. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> High Rise <laughs> wishes it was Cloud City. Or like, I was amazed. See that guy right there. There's an action figure of that guy. That guy has ran by with a blender or whatever. <laughs> oh. Was that was that Jimmy Buffett? Please that shot. Jacko Blatzfitz or something, and it's like he saved that blender from Cloud City. Let me re let me reemphasize R two D two. If he doesn't open this door, Luke doesn't get rescued at the bottom of Cloud City. He's the chosen one. He also, if it's not for R two D two, they don't know about the hyperdrive and the Falcon. They don't know about anything. R two D two handles his business here. Like, yeah, Chewie's getting out some good shots, but they can also just not shoot them and hide behind the door. Like, you know, it's not hard. In the previous film, he went to a planet where he... Most people had no idea where Obi-Wan Kenobi, the hidden Jedi hermit, was. But He he found him in a day. (laughs) (laughs) If it weren't for them darn Jawas, you'd have found him faster. Give R2-D2 some Dos Equis commercial. He's the most interesting droid in the universe. Yeah. I like that scene too. I don't know if they ever, if that had ever been done before, Lucas, to have these different sort of gradations of robots. Some robots are kind of like people; others are just like machines. R two D two is basically very close to being a machine, but he is a character. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's interesting how they can pull that off, I and mean, he has a through line through the whole saga. You know, it's just, but he basically is just a piece of technology. One of the things that stands out for this film is that the action scenes all flow very organically from the narrative. That's Lucas. At in no general. point do yeah. I feel that. You know, the film is pausing for an action scene. Yeah, it never feels like it's a required beat. Yeah. Like, you know, Attack of the Clones or even Return of the Jedi to a certain extent. Where, again, let's stop on these speeders and race through the trees. Well, I mean, Uh, Phantom Menace, too, has the, you know, before the final battle, everything sets up here, sets up here, pause. Um, But here, you know, again, part of that is because 
the action scenes feel very, I'm not going to say low key, but they don't feel overly proud of them. It's, you know, it's, it's, they don't call attention to themselves. This is my favorite shot in the entire series right oh, here. Yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah. Luke and him oh, it's the nice. Boom. Can you imagine being in like the? I I, would, I don't know if you guys the 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 being in the theater the first time seeing just like like this is what you want in a sequel to Star Wars. Yeah. You're like oh my god, Luke Skywalker and Vader are just like clashing and yeah. lights like this is like this is where they're they're fighting. Like like Darth was like messing with me before. Like I was saying here he's like all right enough of this. Like well, and, 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 and you hear it, you're like you're watching you're like oh well man he's struggling but he's gonna beat him you know. That's gonna. Oh, we got his hand cut off. Like, mm-hmm. that's a shocking enough. Like, this is where they delete the it, scene of Maz Katana catching the lightsaber in Cloud City. Right. <laughs> She's down there. She's like, "Oh, what's this?" and brings it with her and leaves. You know, Maz Maz Katana. What a great name, right, Yancy? Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> Close, but no cigar. Uh, great, that is my favorite character from the new ones, though. But I don't know. That name is still not quite there. All you can hear is Pauline Kale pointed out in her review that you can hear his, the leather in his glove like crunch up when he does that. Even like Poe Dameron. Like, you don't think that's a cool name? No. Fuck you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Poe, Finn, po, Finn, and Ray are like Earth names. Who's named Poe? And they're all three wildly popular characters. So, hey. <laughs> they would have been wildly popular characters no matter what you call them. It's not. It, it was an apology for the prequels that people were being pandered to. They were going to be happy. Uh, I think cool there's a certain simplicity in the names that is intentional. Right, uh, but I think, I, my point on Facebook earlier was that I don't think anyone can do those goofy names like Lucas. He. That's one thing yeah. I, I will stick to my grave. No one else can quite make them sound... Right on the borderline of goofy alien, but you believe that it's a thing, you know. Timothy Zahn was pretty good. Yeah, I maybe. Did he? maybe, maybe. Hey, Lucas gave that man his blessing. <laughs> <laughs> I read those. Weird. First that was books. weird when those came out. It was like, is this going to be the Star Wars we're going to get in this book? All right. Oh, that yeah. was all there was back then. It was yeah, like yeah. we had to hold on tight for that. I already that mentioned Dash Rindar. For my, for me, for my that that book was the first Star Wars thing in forever. Yeah, no, like, if you were... For, like, ten years before that. I've always said, like, there's only... Like, Star Wars, everybody loves Star Wars. It, it's obvious by the box office. It's not, like, mm-hmm. this niche geek thing like a lot of the fans try to make it out to be. Now, <laughs> yeah, there's getting, like Star Trek. There's getting... There's getting deeper into the fandom, yes, but, like, if you're a Star Wars fan from, like, you know, post-Return of the Jedi to uh, the Phantom Menace, that was, like, the geekiest time to be a Star Wars fan because there was, like, nothing. You were getting nothing. books... Some comic books, maybe a video game here or there. You were basically like, I a like these old, kit maybe I like out. these old movies. When when you're a kid, and it's like not cool to like old stuff a lot of the time. But this well, uh, baseball has kept it alive to a certain extent. It would help, but also like Star Wars had its 10 year anniversary celebration around these, the same time uh, as Spaceballs. Yeah. Like, to my yeah. to my memory, no one even I never heard a single person question the quality of these things until Phantom Menace came out. I, they their age was not these were legendary i mean right yeah yeah no they were, they were untouchable i mean george lucas had made howard the duck but no one and and, and yeah, willow but willow, no one no. no one no one doubted him like sincerely until well i think the, well, the special editions jedi was that it was a three-star sequel to two four-star predecessors which again i would say the same thing to a certain extent of you know spider-man 3 x-men 3 godfather 3 even maybe i mean i have my issues with it with the dark knight rises where you have you know, a good third film that maybe isn't as good as the two predecessors that gets 
treated as if it's a bad film as a result. We got the exclusive right here, guys. Forbes Scott Mendelson admits Dark Knight Rises is a good film. He we took... got it. <laughs> <laughs> he took the bait. <laughs> he, he is. He is taking a half step back. <laughs> no, no, I mean it's 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 my issues with that film are known, but you know. Um. <laughs> Let's talk about Luke's predicament right here, because I always kind of, it's it's like as cool as it is to see him like fuck the dark side, I'm out of here, and he tries to like I guess kill himself, and then he lands in this weird Rube Goldbergian contraption of shoots and ladders where it's he goes down a slide and then the slide stops, and nope, there's a trap door under this precise place, and he goes down another slide, and now he's it's here. The loneliest, it's the loneliest place in the world, right there. Yeah, there it is. Now, if you fall in Cloud City, do you just keep like? falling do you go into space at all like how's that work well i imagine it's a gas planet so there's probably a core uh, yeah. that that sucks probably. <laughs> like it's like it's probably a terrible way to die if anything because you're falling into nothingness that like melts you like that has to be like, the only result it's a gas planet like that's what it is right there's just yeah. it would just melt you like for some reason this bit always this was really cool to me this is this is the part that i as goofy as this sounds in retrospect that i would reenact on my home playground set would you be Lando, sort of like, you Lando know, coming out of the... I do my thing? own wacky stunts hanging on the monkey bars. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Did you have, uh, like, your black friend try to catch you? No. <laughs> I learned from this movie not to trust the black man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised Luke isn't more shocked than a black man right yeah, like, <laughs> He's like, what part of the galaxy are we in? We really went downhill at this commentary. Yeah. Track. Yeah. <laughs> After all the lecturing on financials and nostalgia and what have you, it's come down to this. <laughs> Chewie, you sit here. I'm going to go grab Han's clothes. <laughs> yeah, I got to wear that vest. It's my old. Lay, no one talks about it being my old vest. I Falcon. People keep thinking I'm the bad guy. Han Solo is the one that beat me in a game of chance, took my ship, stripped me naked, and left me on a planet. Yeah, I'm gonna take my clothes back. Yeah. <laughs> Was that his outfit? No, but I mean, it's just oh, no, it's, it is a it is a weird ending where it's like not only yeah. is Wait, not only is Lando in control of the Falcon, he's wearing Han's clothes too. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> It's like driving gloves. The vest is like, you know. Yeah, I guess. Flying vest. Like, no, this, this is the Falcon uniform. So, like, you know, in Solo, Woody Harrelson's going to own the Falcon, and he's going to be wearing that outfit. And he's like, this, when you when you fly the Falcon, you wear the vest. I, I like this part of um, of Lando's um, frustration with the deal. Where <laughs> now it's like, oh, they, he said they fixed it. It's not my fault. He just starts crying. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. They told me they fixed it. <laughs> What's well, you know? It's it's crazy. Billy D. Williams has like Star Wars fame and Batman fame, but mm-hmm. like it's just crazy how he's not. I mean, he does like a lot of cartoon voice work nowadays. But well, because he, I mean, he went for the money. He got those commercials. He's, he does. He did a lot of movies on his own that aren't that good. Um, and there's Nighthawks. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's not. A, I mean, it's not like you see Hayden Christensen popping up in every place. Right. And even Carrie Fisher. I mean, as much as we all like Carrie Fisher, it's not like she went on to have some like great career outside of Star Wars beyond her well, writing. I mean, it, it's just kind of different as like nowadays. Like you'd yeah. be. 
two franchise pictures, they'd be trying to put you in something else too. Sure, yeah. From from that franchise. Peter Mayhew doesn't really do much else. <laughs> He's got a lot of health problems. I, so. Well, I mean, but after Star Wars, not like you saw oh. like Peter well, Mayhew. Well, he was a guy and... behind a costume. It's... Yeah, but he's likable. <laughs> I mean, it's like Kenny Baker didn't get much work after Star Wars, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, even Mark. I mean, Mark Hamill as well. I mean, you know. You tell me, the Giver wasn't a massive success. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole conversation we could be having about how Harrison Ford is such a force compared to the rest of the cast of these movies. Right. I mean, obviously, the first movie had Alec Guinness, who's already coming off of being such an acclaimed actor, and and James um, Earl Jones, Jones' voice, James Earl Jones' voice, but all, what's his um, Tarkin? Um, Peter, oh, Peter, Peter Cushing. Cushing. Peter he Cushing. Was, you know, he's already the, he's already a legacy. The Hammer days. Yeah. He's he's a legacy actor. Like you know, it's already stuff's already there. It's, I like hey, Luke, Luke grappling with his feelings about everything that's just went down here. He's like, huh, he maybe is my father. After after not killing myself, I have some time to think about these ramifications. Ben, <laughs> why didn't you tell me? I said I'm not intervening. And here's R2 once again, saving the damn day. He's like, fine, I'll just throw my entire body into it. <laughs> you need me to help again? Okay, how about this? <laughs> he's the Neville Longbottom of the Star Wars universe. I love this closing shot of Vader, where he's just like he's beyond f- strangling people. He's just whatever. He's sad. Well, I mean, look at look at like just the it's that's real. It's weird to call it acting, but just the way Prowse is doing this right now, it is effective. Like you get it, yeah. You get this. Like he's essentially failed, but he's also kind of one. Like. And everyone's worried because they're going to get strangled. Like, there's so many great things about this moment. Admiral Piet makes it to the next movie. He does. He gets, like, a crazy death, too. Like, it's it's funny how they they pop him over. Is he in the Superstar Destroyer? Yeah. Yeah, that's my my other favorite (laughs) scene of this entire series when the A-Wing crashes into the Superstar Destroyer. That is, it's such a great moment. It's like, oh, it just destroyed this entire thing. That's awesome. Where have these guys been? (laughs) Just in space? Yeah. Yeah, the bad guy carryovers, they carry over Pia and Boba Fett, which, you know, wouldn't have to. Oh, I mean, there's also Jabba the Hutt, who was in A New Hope, right? We all like that scene. That's right, yeah, yeah. It's a great scene. (laughs) Boba Fett's in all three movies, guys, by the way. I don't know if you knew this. (laughs) He's in in all three now. He's in five. Yeah, that's right. What am I talking about? He's he's in in four of them. And he'll, you know, he'll get fed a solo or a Star Wars story soon enough, right? Well, we can't yep. wait. We need that. I, I always wondered where, you know. Hope they cast Daniel Logan. Great. <laughs> Don't and do change that. his voice Ow. to to Moore Morrison. That'd be good. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I'm, you know, when I was a kid, I watched this and was like, okay, he got his hand cut off, but then he got a new one, so I guess that's fine. And it looks like the old one. Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, nope. damage done. Leia's done with costume change. He's like, let me get my old white thing back. But Luke apparently doesn't like the uh, skin hands after this. Most people think this is the closing shot. Mm -hmm. But it's not. Nope. There's the clothes. It's a ship that looks like a gun. Most people think, right here, credits. Doesn't happen. We got some ships. (laughs) It's different. On to Shadows of the Empire. (laughs) <laughs> man that was a big deal the shadows of the empire the comic the book the game 
the game. Played the game a lot when I was a kid. Because <laughs> that's when I was alive. <laughs> the... Is that any good? The games, the the N sixty four, it's clunky as fuck, but it's a it's a it's a memorable game. I mean, it's a, it's a Star Wars game, and it's telling you a story that you don't necessarily know unless you read the book. So it's like they adapted this book and they made this thing. Like it's it's neat because you have this character Dash Rendar who's not Han Solo, and like they're trying to make him cool. Yeah, well, they, I mean, the book, the book, the comic book, and the and the uh, the game all told a different angle on the yeah. story. Yeah. On on the yeah, and there's what Prince Shizor. Shizor, yeah. The villain that tried to marry Princess Leia or something yeah, it, like that. And... It, it, it lays some seeds, I, I actually, for like what they're going for with Naboo stuff. Like, There's some interesting connections you can make between Shadows and the, the Amidala side of the story. So I was like, oh, we can flesh this out further. Which, which, yeah, Phantom Menace, actually, I was talking about Hidden Fortress. That one actually pulls more from the Hidden Fortress than the original Star Wars because Plot-wise, it's got yeah. two two guards, you know, protecting a princess under guys. I remember the, yeah. you know, the first conversation I ever had with Randy Schaefer when we first met at college, and he was explaining to me to the extent that Phantom Menace was a riff on Spaceballs, and it blew my mind at the time because he wasn't entirely wrong. <laughs> I mean, Spaceballs is an entire riff on it happened one night. Like, that's the entire plot of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's just less love in Phantom Menace. That's the, that's the issue. <laughs> ben, Obi-Wan, Kenobi. Still credited there. Uh, General <laughs> Veers. Is Julian Glover? There we go. Hmm? General Veers. Just pick one. Don't be like Harvey Two-Face. That's weird. <laughs> Major Durlin, John Ratzenberger. <laughs> Dak, Luke Skinner. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, I was. I, I think like when I was like little or something, I'd have like you know I wouldn't watch these like every day, but then I'd be like, wait, how are they gonna save Han Solo and get all this wrap? Oh, they don't. It's over. <laughs> I I had um before I had the VHS tapes like the THX tapes. I had the um I had the v, the VCR recorded. <laughs> I had this and Return on one tape, and I had Indi- I had Temple of Doom and Cru- Last Crusade. On I think I t- said this before too. Last Crusade, I've I I never saw the whole uh, what's his name, young Indiana Jones. What's his name? Um, River Phoenix. I I never saw the whole. I never saw the River Phoenix stuff until way later. I always saw him on the boat. That was the first scene I ever saw of Last Crusade. So I never knew about the whole cold open of that movie for the longest huh. time. And I never That's knew about your version started. Yeah, well, because we VCR taped them off of like off of television. So like I had Temple of Doom. It ended when he climbs up the bridge. Like so, I never saw like oh. the like the epilogue of that movie, and then the next one just like it cuts right into the next one where he's fighting on the ship after all the River Phoenix stuff happened. So like I never had the end and beginning of those two movies, and that's kind of how mm-hmm. I knew them. And Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back, those are taped well, so I had I had a better idea of how those worked. But, did you yeah. did you guys ever have the uh, it was like the throw in VHS the from Star Wars to Jedi, like making of. No. Star Wars, the original one, where that was where you got your first glimpse at uh, uh, Biggs' Darklighter scene, and then there was the, a little bit of the Jabba the Hutt scene from the original was in that. Hmm. And so we know and it, it was a, it was an all too brief uh, making of the the series that heavily focused on the Return of the Jedi stuff, but it was it was neat. But uh, the I like the the Empire Dreams one that came with the DVD set. Yeah, was, the yeah that set was. That that whole doc was great. 
That was like a, its own disc, wasn't it? The, the Empire Dreams part. Yes, yeah. yes. I remember getting that in college when that came out. Uh-huh. It's like, oh my god, then, Star Wars on DVD, and then the Blu-ray came out, and it's like, oh my god, Star Wars on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, the Star Wars on Blu-ray, like when they had that, it was like we were put, we we're finally putting these deleted scenes that you've been wanting forever on this. So I was like, I, I, I like had it pre-ordered. I'm like, I after I go to work, I'm going to pick it up at Best Buy, and then I am immediately watching every deleted scene from the original Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, I spent like a whole <laughs> morning with a couple friends watching the entire like bonus discs of like all the stuff that they put on there. Which George Lucas did good. Th- I mean, he always he always meant for you to always hold on to your old editions because like he wouldn't pour over old content. He'd always make sure it was new. Yeah. When's the 4K set come out? <laughs> I, 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 I'm guessing I. Once this Fox deal goes down, is that what's happening, Scott? Is that what's, yeah, is that maybe. what's going on? <laughs> could be. I can yeah. I can tell you this: the Last Jedi will be their first 4K Star Wars when it comes out April 3rd. That's you can hear it. I will. I will stand by that. They haven't announced anything. There's nothing there, but April third. You don't think they'll throw out Force Awakens right. first just to get you ready? Nope. Okay. That'd be out by now. Um, but yeah. it, it might come out around the same time. But um, I, I'm predicting Last Jedi will be the first 4K Star Wars on April third, 2018. Not enough people stay around to the end of these credits, but the fucking Williams score is so great. It's like all the oh, way yeah. through this thing, like it's so good. It takes you back through the whole movie. Like you start getting memories and stuff like that, and. But if you stayed to the end of the Phantom Menace, you got Darth Vader breathing. Remember, everybody was like, "Ooh!" Yeah, it foreshadowed something. <laughs> He's not going to be in the next movie. But... I wasn't sure what because it was a Phantom Menace, but I, I don't know. I think Palpatine was in on it. Um, any final thoughts on Empire Strikes Back? Now that we've finished the, uh, it still holds up. It still feels <laughs> different from the all one, two, three, four, five, seven other Star Wars movies. <laughs> um not counting the cartoons and the Ewok stuff. Um, and I think it's it's interesting. You know, we now have what's going to be three full Star Wars trilogies. And the first one, the second one, the first trilogy, part two, is the best. The second trilogy, part two, is the worst. So in the third trilogy, will the part two be just second best? We'll, we'll, have, anyway. to, we'll have to see. <laughs> Um, Yancey, any, any last thoughts? Uh, no, not really. Uh, Crushed it. Know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A good time was had. Yeah. I mean, every every sequel wants to live up to this hype. That's why we have the phrase, and you see, it's it's the Empire Strikes Back of the blah 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 series. So this is the, the sequel Empire that Strikes Back of the Descendants films. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, it's. This has been fun, guys. I, I we've ta- I tackled a variety of different topics, which I'm always happy to do. Uh, I look forward to doing the next one of these commentaries for well, movies in general because these are fun to do, but also for these Star Wars movies because it inspires lots of conversation of all types. But that's gonna have to wrap it up for this month's commentary track and our commentary track for Empire Strikes Back. So as I end here, let's get to where you guys can be found. Let's start with Brandon Peters. Where can people find more of your work online? cultcinemacavalcade.com uh, you can find us on iTunes everywhere podcasts are found on Twitter at BT Peters that's me at CC Cavalcade on Instagram Twitter blah 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 and our latest episode is Hard Rain with Aaron and it's a really good episode I enjoyed it quite a bit I just want the money uh, Scott Mendelson, where can people find more of your work online uh, Forbes that's basically where I write uh, just google Forbes Scott Mendelson, the ticket booth or some combination thereof and Yancey Burns. 
You should have asked Scott last. He's got the best one. Now I got to follow that up with like, oh, the Milky Way Blues at Blogspot, <laughs> and uh, I'm on Twitter as Yancey Jack. That's about it. I'm at yancey.geocities.com <laughs> and uh, yancey41 at hotmail.com. Find me on hey, AIM. <laughs> Find me on Instant Messenger AOL over it. <laughs> uh, you can find everything I do over at thecodezeek.com. All the reviews that I write and everything gets piled into that site. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. You can find all the other episodes about Now with Aaron and Abe over on iTunes and Audioboom. We have our Facebook page and our Twitter page. You know all this stuff. It's great. I'm happy everybody that listened to this stuck all the way through with us because I know we like to talk a lot about a lot of variety of different things. If you played along, great. And I hope you keep coming back for more commentary tracks because that's all we do. You guys seem to like these a lot. Um, but with all that said, thank you, Yancey, Scott, and Brandon, for joining me this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And with all that, that's I, 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 regardless of thoughts on the current Star Wars films, I'd like to think that we're all at least a little bit excited about The Last Jedi coming up. Um, I am excited. I, I know I am. And until that, that'll be an episode coming soon. So until then, until next time, so long and goodbye. And may, the, and, prosper. and may the force be with you. <laughs>